Welcome, everybody. It is July 2nd, 2018, and we have, are on episode 15, Halfway, our halfway Point. It's exciting stuff. I thought, yes. I am pretty excited. So, yeah. That's not to say I haven't been excited for the past month. Ladies' Month was fun. It was. It was we had fun. a lot of good guests, a lot of good, guests, a lot of good conversations. I was telling Casey, when we started this, there was like a handful of people that I want to make sure I wanted to get on, and he was one of them. I'm pretty used. Those expectations are too high. That's the problem yeah. already. So you set the bar low, and then you. But you did, you've <laughs> already you've already failed to do that. Well, no. <laughs> I, I want to say I don't care about other singers to what knows I do, but this is more <laughs> mine because I already know what I'm getting here, and I already know I'm ready to get it. So I'm happy. You don't have a lot to live up to with oh, his man. wife being on previously last month. That is true. And um, I don't know if I want my some of mine and Mary best conversations recorded for the world. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hear um, <laughs> you're a brave soul. There's not many people I have that are almost as nerdy as me, and that's what makes me excited. Listen, I I will wear that badge with honor, and it's especially nowadays. So you know, right? You were an athlete in high school. There was a time that you could not be a comic book reader and a jock openly. Yeah, like you couldn't be like I like Batman. So, yeah, there was not too long ago that that had to be kept pretty under wraps. Yeah. So it's cool to be able to let that flag fly now. I remember in fifth grade, very vividly, taking a Spider-Man comic book and in, in the class, and I got picked on for it, and I never took it back. Um, I also listened to Phil Collins and Genesis at that time. So I, mean, I Can't Dance was my favorite song in fourth grade. <laughs> so, like, and that just to, like, was, you know. It is what it is. it is. Go back to your intro. I'm sorry. I just oh, I didn't no, mean to interrupt. That, that was that was awesome. Yeah, I, I feel like it. this is a bit of a precursor. Like that's exactly. What so Matt, Matt, and I often joke, and I I don't know how many years I've known Matt now, and how many times we've hung out, but I don't think we've ever finished a conversation. Because it's always like we start here and then this jumps off to here. So like in the tenure of our friendship, I don't think there's been a conversation that we've ever been able to put a pin in and say we're done. That's why with you, I did the same thing with Matt. Some of the other guests, we've had like three or four things we want to touch with you, Matt. With one thing, you're like, listen, we're going to get to half a thing. Yeah, we're gonna, <laughs> and if we have to, we'll go to two episodes. But like, we're just, yeah. So because we're not even through the intro, right? Am I understanding this correctly? So that's the Brad's part. Yeah. All right, cool. I'm really sorry. <laughs> this is a special episode because it's the first one on the road. Yes, we are at the performance locker in his kitchen. In the kitchen. In the kitchen. In the kitchen. Welcome to our kitchen. Pretty nice place. Thank you, sir. Nice tour you gave me. We kind of dig it. It's a nice space. I like it. Anyway, you can find us on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Hot Take from the Kitchen. And you can also send us those emails to hottakefromthekitchen at gmail.com. It's H O T T A K E F R O M T H E K I T C H E N at gmail.com. See his favorite part. It's what people have come to expect. What he looks forward to each week. It's got a nice rhythm to it. Only well, because he does it. It's, it's got, got my flow. 15th time doing Tell it. You're good at I'm it. I'm getting a pro. If you're like, what's, what's the cat from Price is Right? Uh, the, the announcer dude. I don't know his name. Is it Don something? I don't know because they changed the people. Anyway, you own that. Well done. All right. well, thank you. <laughs> All right. On my left is our guest, Casey Stutzman, the owner of the Performance Locker. Happy to have him on. On my right is Steve. 
Casey's straight from IdeaFed. Yep, Idea World. Idea World, sorry. Off, off the plane yesterday. San Diego. Yep. Busy, San, busy Diego. Guy. San Diego. <laughs> yes. So this is the part of the podcast I'm wondering, like, language-wise. We okay. Yeah. <laughs> we have had our pure E explicit readings. I've dropped an F-bomb or two. Okay. All right. I don't mean to. But I, I know what I'm saying. Just That's actually the trick, though. Like, if it happens all the time, it doesn't have that level of potency. Yeah. But it's like every now and again, it's just it's, it's, a, it's a point maker. And when Brad and I got – probably our, we've had disagreements on the bottom of we actually had our first argument on the spot. I loved it. I mean, both when we both got done, we both texted each other. That was amazing. It was great. And the whole time we were like, but I was like, oh my god. And I think uh, Michelle McEwen was with us. Okay. And she was like, what is going on? She got scared. <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it was good. All right, we'll take a break. <laughs> All right, first up is our hot takes. We have five of them tonight. Some of them are actually heartfelt stories. They're kind of nice. Well, I think they might go quick, but yeah. we'll see what happens. We should work backwards. Should we? All right. Because that first one could go a little bit. All right. So our first hot take topic is a deaf puppy in Alabama, I saw, was rescued after spending 30 hours in a 50-foot deep hole. I read their article, and I guess the puppy was out in the yard running around. This lady was foster parent to the dog. I guess there was a fissure from all the rain that was created, and the puppy just disappeared. And the lady didn't know where it was, so she went and got a flashlight and flashed it down in the hole, and the puppy was just walking back and forth. I guess I didn't hear this say, hey, stop, don't go there, but it's deaf. Eventually, the People came and got it, and they lured it into a trap thing, pull it up with some anchovies or something like that, and they eventually got it out after 30 hours. And the dog was okay? Yeah. Dog survived. It's good. We Doing good. Ending. Yes. All I could think of when you told me that was my dog and how my dog, I don't know what my dog would have done. He would have just gone berserk when he would have stopped. You at the top, there would have been anyway. Come and get me. And if you would have tried to set anything down, you would have not have gone into it. You would have only way he would have came out of there is I would have had to crawl my chubby butt down there, pick him up, and then somebody would have had to pull me out. That's the only way he was getting out of that hole. I think our dog would have just moped. <laughs> and then when we finally got something down there, he'd be like, Oh, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> nice. And Steve did send me a picture of another article about a dog that was another six-month-old puppy that was bit by a rattlesnake protecting its owner. It's like a golden lab. Yeah. Or a golden retriever. And it was, its whole face is all swollen up. Looked really sad, but, I mean. Did it make it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's kind of cool to think that. The dog was protecting. Right. Right. I don't like snakes. No, No, that's. Snakes. That's about it for me. Snakes. Maybe big spiders. So here's the thing with spiders. Attached to you at all times is like the nuclear bomb equivalent to spiders, which is your foot. And you have two of them in case one of them fails. So at any time, I can step on you. <laughs> right? Yeah. Try like, you can't step on a snake. Like, they're too nimble and they're too striky. And 
so yeah, that's the thing is, I mean, I, I get it. Like I get fear of spiders and whatnot, but I see a big spider and I'm just like squish <laughs> with my boot. My problem with spiders is that they kill other bugs, right? So right. They're kind of nature's housekeeper for lack of a better term. So I always keep that in mind. I'll, sometimes I'm like, I, I kind of understand mosquitoes. So we, so we have a spider issue here. Like this building is right on the water. So mayflies, I mean, we get tons of bugs, tons of hats. There's woods around. There's everything else. It's like perfect bug habitat, which means it's perfect spider habitat. So the second the nice weather hits, all along the outside of our building, every eve, every cove is just loaded with spider webs and like these big, juicy mothers. Like they are huge. And you'll watch them in the morning doing their thing. We have two staff members that are deathly afraid of spiders and a third one who's not a fan, let's just say. <laughs> but the building's covering spiders like pretty much year round. So this is off subject. But the other day I go in and I'm doing the dishes in the kitchen that we are sitting in right now. And I lift up a cup and there looks to be what kind of like a dead mangled, very large spider in there, but just left under a cup. And then I got the story from Sam that she went in to do the dishes and she's like eight and a half months pregnant this time. So she can get away with a lot. And she's like, and I go to do the dishes and I pick up a cup and there's a giant spider sitting there. So I just set the cup back and ran away. I'm out. And I'm out and just left it, <laughs> which was hilarious. But then it also begs like, well, that means that someone saw the spider in the first place, put a cup over it and said, my job is done. So we have a staff meeting a couple of weeks ago and I bring up this story and Ben goes, let me explain. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yes, we don't like, we have a lot of people who don't like spiders here, but yeah, we have many of them. Understandable. All right. The next hot take is there were 48 babies born in 41 hours in Fort Worth, Texas, starting June 26th. Say it again. 48, 48 babies. In roughly days. two days' time. Same hospital. In Fort Wayne, Indiana, Fort Wayne, Texas. Fort Worth, Texas. So when I hear something like that, the first thing that pops in my head is what was the date nine months prior to? Yeah, I looked that up. And? Oklahoma Baylor. And Baylor. Oklahoma <laughs> almost beat Baylor. I mean, Baylor almost beat Oklahoma. They lost 49, 42. So Baker almost Mayfield beat? Let them back. Like, at halftime, it's like, come on, sweetie, they're winning. <laughs> yes. I, my head went to the same place. I already did it. What happened? Oh, wow. Okay. Wow. Can you people. imagine being like an OB doc in that hospital at that time, just sitting there going like, what? That's crazy. No. I just, their Meyer is, or whatever they have down there, it's a good, something. Could be making a lot of birthday cakes. Right. Piggly Wiggly. Yeah, Piggly Wiggly. Is it a small town? Love Piggly no, Wiggly. Four, 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 four. Oh, four. I'm sorry. I missed that part. I don't get out much. <laughs> Is Texas big? Where's that at? <laughs> All right. Our next topic is a, the cops were called on a 12-year-old for cutting grass in Cleveland, Ohio. Why? So I was going to nix this because I was like, man, this is it, it's, really not a good article. It's not. But... I know something about, I don't know if you know how Casey feels about Mon Juan oh. and how I feel about Mon Juan. So I thought this would be great dialogue. So why don't you finish telling the story and then we'll go from there. All right. A kid and his friends were all cutting this lady's grass. Okay. They have a small lawn care business. But I guess the next door neighbor called the cops on the kids because the kid cutting the grass crossed over into his property. So he cut part of his grass for free. 
Yes. And that was enough to call the cops? Yes. Okay. There's some race things that were explained. Oh, that's unfortunate. In Cleveland? Yes. So it was a black kid cutting grass and the white guy. So some crotchy old white guy who got part of his grass cut for free. Yes. Called the cops. There was a black kid that crossed onto his property. Like, does that guy know it's like 2018? So, first of all, I already know this about Casey. He would do anything if someone would just come. Oh, my gosh. So, that young man cuts any bit of my grass. Like, would you like some lemonade? Can I (laughs) get a handshake? Whatever you need. And I'll tell you what, you keep going. There might be a 20 spot in there for you. Because here's my thing about cutting grass. As I'm cutting it. Now, my wife's going to listen to this and be screaming at whatever device she's listening to. Because she's like, you never cut the grass. Which is completely true. Right. Mary Beth has just given up and taken it upon himself. And she is the go-to lawn maintenance person. But as I'm cutting the grass, I'm like, this is growing as we speak. As we are cutting it, it is growing. It feels like such like it's Sisyphus rolling the boulder up the hill. Like I, nature is reclaiming this grass as I walk right now. I feel like it is work that goes absolutely nowhere and it drives me insane. Snow removal the same way because I'm sitting there shoveling going, if I could wait two more months, this is all be gone by itself. This is completely pointless work. Steve, on the other hand, is a judgmental lawn person. Yes, he is. He will he drive is. around and look at people like me. Yeah. Not, well, not like me because if my wife wasn't there. Yeah. You, like, <laughs> see, because right now, all everyone's grass is brown and everything's dead. This is my favorite time. Yeah, this is, this I love is this. Favorite, yeah. Because you don't have to cut it. This is amazing. And what happened for me, fortunately, was is I went on vacation last week, didn't mow my grass, so I got long, and it's still See, I didn't know you were on vacation, because I would have come by, and I would have taken pictures, and I would have put them all over Facebook. Look look at Steve's lawn. Oh, don't worry. (laughs) Can you you imagine someone letting their grass be so unkempt? What a terrible person. (laughs) Don't worry. I I bet he's also a Duke fan. Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah, that's kind of how that Get works. the bill. Shame. Shame. I, uh, I feel there's something about having work and then getting it done and seeing that. I get that. But that's my point. It's like that is not work being accomplished. Nothing is being accomplished because it grows as you cut it. That's not like building a house and being like, look what I made. Look what I did. Look what you can now enjoy. It's like I did that. It's like, okay, play on it for 30 seconds and now it's too long. Again. That's what I tell the house in the morning. Hey, look how good the lawn looks. Does it make you feel better about oh, yourself? 100%. She, <laughs> and she's smart enough now. She goes, looks great, babe. It looks good. Looks, it good looks job. good. And you know it's not sincere, but it doesn't matter. Because yeah, like, she goes through the effort to yep. say it. There you go. You can tell that kid in Cleveland. He can cut my lawn anytime, and I will tip him handsomely. I will do that. I'll find an email address. Plus, I'm sure anybody living in Ohio is looking for a reason to come to Michigan. Probably. All right. That is accurate. <laughs> Mike, Our, that's why you hate us. You hate us because our state's amazing. Yeah. In fact, it's so amazing. I love traveling and talking to other people that don't know Michigan. We'll talk about them. Like, let me tell you how awesome Michigan is, right? We're so amazing that the people who live in our state vacation in our state. We're like, why would I leave? I'm just going to go to a different part. Yeah. And that's where I'm going to hang out. We went to the Hungry Hippie for dinner tonight. Yeah. Allison are sitting there. And I go to her. What if we went somewhere else for the Fourth of July? Why? Yeah, and then but she goes, why? why? I'm like, I know. I go, but it, it was just what would it be like? Terrible. But it, it's just like, where? <laughs> why else would you go? Why? I mean, right. we have everything. 
you could ever want really in a we did that for so for the first few years that we were married we'd flip flop on um uh thanksgivings we'd go one here one downstate where my family lives in the detroit area and after a few years i'm like why are we doing this like it's hunting season it's like there's so much going on here that time of year it's fall it's beautiful like you know depending like you can get some pretty decent weather that time of year too usually the snow hasn't really started flying yet and so yeah we're like no we're not gonna do that anymore like it's a great time of year to be in alpina and not spend it traveling and dealing with the crowds and everything else. And like Black Friday in the Metro Detroit area is like not fun. So we'd go down there for Thursday and then Friday you couldn't do anything because yeah. we, I mean, grew up right like Square Lake Woodward area. So good luck trying to drive anywhere for anything at any time on a Black Friday. So we'd sit inside. So yeah, after a while we're like, you guys can come up here. We're, there's no reason to leave. <laughs> All right. Our next topic is a German, he was, when this happened, he planted a million trees from the age of nine to 12. And now he's taken over the UN program to plant a billion more. Planted a million trees in three years. Yes. Have you done the math on that? No, but it's a lot. I'm sorry, I got to check. It's 333,000, right? Well, yeah, well, I mean, Give point three infinity. So, like, it's awesome because we need more trees. Oh, yeah. You know, and I don't know. So that's up? over 900 trees a day for three years. I mean, that's, that's life work, apparently. It's crazy. That's all I was trying to say. That's a good point. He's 12. Now he wants to do a billion more at the age of 20. Did he put a time frame on it? No. By the age of 20? No, he is 20 now. Oh, he's 20 now. Yeah. Okay. I guess the union. I didn't hey, good for him, man. More power. Yeah. It's a lot of it's ambitious. tree planting. Let's hold it on his knees. All right. <laughs> Next time. I would like to know that all those trees were confirmed planted. Like, did they fingerprint them or? I'm just saying, listen, 915 trees a day for three years. <laughs> I'm not trying to call the kid out. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if, like, in five years, that's, like, the biggest scandal we're dealing with yeah. is, you remember that story from 2018, the German kid with the tree planting? It was a hoax. <laughs> he they, did a thousand. They were bought from Meyer, and he had other he had immigrants do the work. <laughs> All right. Our last topic. Too much. LeBron and NBA free agency. It keeps changing very rapidly right now. That's exciting. Yep. So he's a Laker now. Yes. Which really? I, yeah, LeBron's a Laker. Just signed. So you have to forgive, like. Oh, no, that's fine. Um, we, we just have been, we slowly talk about basketball. On this, oh yeah. So. Well, I mean, I know you guys yeah. are big fans. Like, yeah. so I've been out of the sports suit for some time now. I can't believe he did that. Because I just feel like the, the only reason I can see him doing it is, and it, this is true, but he just doesn't care about basketball anymore. No, he wants to become a billionaire. Yeah. He's, so what do you mean by that? <clears throat> so it's more looking at like the. The, the Movies, business, the, yeah. okay. So all like his other stuff that he has around basketball. The other things that would come with being a Laker and being in LA. <clears throat> Just being in LA. Okay. I don't even think he cares he's a Laker. Because he has a production company in LA. So. Really? Yeah, they feed it. Like, what kind, like, are they doing TV, movies, or? A little bit of everything. Yeah. Really? As my brother-in-law would say, they dabble. Yeah. In everything, so. Wow. Yeah. 
but they just signed Rondo. I saw. Yeah. So signed Rondo, Javel McGee, Lance Stevenson. It just feels so like it's going to become another Cavaliers. Well, a lot of those guys don't play well in the sandbox, so that's going to be very interesting. Yeah, because they yeah. just renounced the rights to Julius Randle. So. I remember you guys talking about that a while ago, and I don't know what I think about that whole. Just that, mod, like you said, like back in the day, there was like a superstar that built it. It was their team, right? Mm-hmm. Like the Bulls were Jordan's team and the Knicks were Irving's team. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it almost feels like cheating the system a little bit. I see both sides of the story, like the coin or how you want to say it. I just, I, I always think about like, and again, I, uh, so we got rid of cable about eight years ago. We made, uh, Vesper was one. We moved into a new house. We're just, you know, cutting budget, whatnot. And very best idea. I was extremely resistant to it. Because Sports Center was at least once or twice a day on, you know, just to stay up on top. And Michigan football every Saturday and then NFL every Sunday. Um, and then just slowly just kind of drifted away from it a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And really never, never got back much in, but. When I watched a lot of football, I really liked the Broncos and just that whole thing. Like Elway was with the same team, 16 years, came close many, many times, like just kept going, went to two Super Bowls at the end of his career, and then I'm out. There is never see that anymore. Yeah. There's, and fans love that no matter, even if you're a Broncos fan, you're happy to see Elway get his ring. And I don't think anybody, like, was anybody really happy to see Favre in a Vikings uniform? Like, even Vikings fans. Like, I don't – I mean, I was never a big Packers fan, but I think like anybody else, you know what the guy's done. You respect him. But, like, you know, no one likes seeing Jordan in a Wizards uniform. Like yeah. – 100%. So. Yeah, so I, I know that LeBron was the key big cog in this whole thing because he kind of said – now everyone else has signed. It's essentially what's going on. So, okay. And I really thought he was going to hold out for two weeks. Yeah, I was surprised he did it so quick. Yeah. But good. I think once Paul George signed, he's like, all right, I'll just yeah, I'll get it's all over. So that's that. Yeah. All right. On the next one. Here we go. So Casey's our guest. I've known Casey for quite a bit of time. So I thought maybe since I feel, you're one of the few people I've had on that kind of actually know. So, but enlighten people on how you got to Alpina, a little bit of your background, and then we'll go from there. Okay. Where does one start? <laughs> Where did you go uh, to high school? You grew up in Detroit. I was born a poor black child. <laughs> um, so I grew up in the Metro Detroit area, uh, went to Lasser High School and, you know, very kind of stereotypical, like, let's call it all-American boy upbringing and football and wrestling and track and things of that nature. And uh, um, I didn't really start getting into, this will make more sense later, uh, I didn't really start getting into training and working out and fitness and things like that until my senior year of high school. It was after football season, I decided I wanted to try and walk on and play at Western. Uh, I was already going there and... Um, yeah, I just kind of want to throw my hat in the ring and just see, like, is that something that I'm capable of? And even at that age, like, knew that I did not have the skill set to be 
a player at Division One, but it was more just like, can I do it? Can I even make the team? And I always just looked at it like any time after high school that you were privileged enough to put the pads on was was worth it. So, you know, give it a shot. And so that's that's kind of when I started getting into the type of stuff that I do now. And at that point, <laughs> I was a child of the 90s. And I remember being in Barnes & Noble and I was looking all over for a book on weight training. And I mean, you're standing there and it's like if you've never eaten a vegetable and you're standing in the produce section of the grocery store and you're just like, I have no idea. Right? You're just, that's green and that's yellow. Like, uh, and I saw a book that stood out. It was very, very thick. And it was the Arnold Schwarzenegger Encyclopedia of Modern Bodybuilding. And I'm like, I like Arnold. <laughs> so I, like I was a fan. So um, grabbed the book and, and kind of got into that style of training for football, which was not at all what I should have been doing, but whatever. It was a foyer into the art of picking up heavy things, if you will. And uh, that's my brother's favorite thing to say. Like, Aaron, how did you get so big? And he'll like, pick up heavy things. Pick up heavy things. And then once that becomes light, pick up something heavier. That's what he it, it, It's not rocket science in yeah. that regard. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of how that started. So, and because that's where because that's where my interest started with training. Like there was always something in the back of my head that found was fascinated with bodybuilding. Cause just, that was the world that I got all my information from when I was first learning how to do this. And, and again, looking back, it's like, you know, we all do that when we're young. It's like, God, if I was only training the way then that I am now, what more could I have done? How much better could I have done? Cause I was completely doing the wrong stuff, right? I'm doing all like beach muscle stuff and, you know, volume based sets and all these things to try and get big biceps and big bag. Like nothing was performance based in any way, shape or form. Um, For, in your defense though, yeah. a lot of that has just recently changed over the past 20 years. It, it was there at that time. You just had to search more for it. And I mean, it's still, you got to look for it. You're hundred percent right. Like conditioning is now sexy. It was not back then, right? Like you squat, you bench, you deadlift. You maybe do some cleans, and then you do a whole lot of curls and upright rows and shrugs and other things of that nature. So yes, but it was there, you know, there's a lot of guys that were, were doing that stuff. And if one were so inclined to look a little bit deeper, you would, you would have found it. So it was just, you know, I, I found something I was interested in and, you know, there was that tie to this movie star that I'd grown up with and loved the movie. So it was just, it's kind of how it started. And, uh, uh, went to Western for a couple of years, had a lot of fun, um, too much. <laughs> so there's that piece of paper that's still missing because, I, got, I was really good socially. I did very well in that aspect of, of school um, and played for a couple of years there. It's like fourth string defensive end and, you know, got to have the experience and put on the uni and the whole nine yards. And then I got cut for a, um, um, a recruit that was coming in. So they needed some roster spot and they were bringing in someone who was highly recruited actually out of brother rice, ironically, which is down the street from my high school. And so I got the X and, um, so then at that time, I was still kind of floundering around Kalamazoo. Uh, I started, I took a job selling knives door to door, um, which was weird and random, but on the same token, it was really my first like legit sales job. And to this day, probably one of the best jobs I've ever had just in terms of learning. Um, learned a lot. I mean, you know, how to talk to people, how to deal with objections. Like there was so much value to, to what I did at that time. And I mean, you know, right? Like it takes a lot to put yourself out there and it takes a lot more when someone says no to be like, well, tell me why. And I mean, even just that level of confidence and being able to like understand like conversations don't end when we always think they end. like there's a lot of value to that. And I really, 
it was not a strategic decision at that point. And I didn't make enough money to like survive, but you know, and I, I worked with a great group of people that was a lot of fun, which is the main reason I kind of stuck around, but it was, it was a very, very valuable experience. Um, so that actually took me down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, so that was the first time I'd ever left the state of Michigan for any surmountable period of time and love Tulsa, great city, but I didn't leaving the state of Michigan made me realize how amazing this state is. Um, and that was the thing with Oklahoma is like, uh, Stillwater was a great city and Norman was a great city and OKC was a great city and Tulsa was a great city, but there was like nothing in between. It just, it didn't have the richness that this state does. And like we were joking earlier, like people in Michigan vacation in Michigan, cause there's so much to do. There's so much to see. There's culture, there's outdoors, there's beauty, you know? Um, so shortly after I moved, I knew I wanted to get back to the state and I just didn't know how or what, um, I stopped working at that company. I was doing a couple of retail jobs, just paying the rent. You know, I had a couple great guys that I met that were super positive influences and, uh, you know, it was in my early twenties and, started becoming more of an adult and, you know, making better choices and things of that nature. And I was working retail at a couple different places. So like good jobs, but not necessarily jobs with any prolonged future. Um, actually, I remember one point I was working at FYE in the one, one of the two big malls in Tulsa and my manager, who was a great guy, uh, was talking about, they had this like training program for the company and they take, I was an assistant manager there and they take, you know, promising people and they put them in this thing and they teach you this and this. And then the eventual thing is you get your own store. And like any other, I was 22 at the time. And of course it came with a hefty, you know, bonus and pay and it was some level of opportunity. So, I mean, of course at first you're like, Oh, that's awesome. That's super exciting. But then really quickly, almost within the same conversation, it also clicked in my head. Like, you know, if you do that, this is going to be your last job, like forever. Now at this time, like I, I don't have a college degree. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I think like a lot of people in their early twenties, you make some silly decisions, you dig some holes for yourself. And at one point you have to, you know, grow up and kind of dig out. And so it just, it became very real that it's like, you know, if this, if this is the path that you travel, like this is, this is what you're going to be doing. You know, you're going to be managing a corporate owned retail store probably for the rest of your life. And, you know, just to be clear, not that there's anything wrong with that in any way, shape or form. It was just like, well, is that what you want for you from now into eternity? And I didn't. So, I mean, it was either that conversation or the next day I was like, I really appreciate it, but, um, I'm going to pass. I, I just, I don't know where I'm going, what I want to do, but uh, I just feel like I want to keep my options open, kind of go from there. And at that time I really wanted to get back to the state of Michigan, but I didn't know how that looked or what was going to happen. <clears throat> Luckily I didn't really have a lot of ties to anything. I wasn't seeing anybody down there. You know, I had a couple of really good friends, but all my family was back up here. And so how I got to Alpena was actually right from Tulsa and my folks had bought a couple vacation rental properties up around this area and they had someone that was managing it and the relationship fell through. And so they were kind of in a spot and my dad was like, well, we need someone to kind of help manage the properties. You could do that. We pay you what we pay them. And then you can live out at Hubbard Lake in the winter. Cause that one was winterized rent free you know, while you figure out your next step or, you know, the goal was to build this property management company. Um, and I was like, yeah, cool. So no <laughs> thoughts, no business plan, no looking just like, yay. Cause I want to get back to Michigan. And, uh, so literally hopped in the car and drove two days straight because I had a four cylinder Jeep Wrangler and I was pulling a trailer behind it. So it went all of 15 miles an hour, the <laughs> entire drive. Uh, so two days straight drove, 
to get back here and then stopped in Detroit, stayed the night there, came right up to Alpena. And like, that was in April. And then we started working on the, the cottages and the places like literally started work then and there. Um, and yeah, that's, that's how I got up here. And then pretty quickly. All right. So that's kind of like step one of getting to Alpena. Right. Um, so I get up here and I'm managing the rental properties. And at this time I'm like, I'm still at 22, 23. So I'm young. Uh, really at that point, kind of past like big drinking, partying stages, things like that. Wasn't much into the nightlife or anything. And I mean, you know, you guys know, like at that age, if you didn't grow up here, it's not always easy to meet people unless you're like, like, like to go to the bars and whatnot. It just at that time kind of wasn't, wasn't my scene. Um, so I really didn't know anybody, not to mention all the places I was working at were vacation rentals. So they're outside of town. Like you're only meeting people who don't live here. So it was, it was interesting. Um, I, after that first summer coming up into the winter, I got a part-time job at the fitness center that used to be in the Thunder Bay rec center that Rosenroy Nowak owned. That's um, where I met you. Yes. And so that would have been like 2004, 2005. And so I got a part-time job in there and truth be told, mainly just for the free membership. <laughs> cause I was like, Oh, if I work here, I don't have to pay a monthly membership and I can, you know, make a couple bucks on the side. Cause obviously my work was very seasonal. Um, and so that's how I started working there. I had a little bit of, I had worked as a personal trainer for like literally three months and kind of like an internship type program at lifetime fitness in Troy, uh, my first summer home from college. So, you know, I had a teeny tiny bit of experience and I was 23 and thought I knew everything. So clearly they're like, you know, you could train some clients. I'm like, well, that's great because I have all the knowledge in the world <laughs> and know everything about everything because I'm 23. Um, so worked there. And then that's where I met Trina. Um, and when Bay Athletic Club opened and I was one of the first people that was hired on there. And so that was 2006. And that was my first like full time, like I get to do what I love. And so you know, backtracking a little bit when I was in high school and I started getting into training very quickly, I'm like, I think this is what I want to do. So when I went to Western, it was an exercise science and I didn't know what path, you know, of course my, my, my scope of the industry was very, very small. So I was like, well, I'm going to own a gym because that was the only thing I knew that you could do, um, that you could train, you could teach classes, you can own a gym. I wanted to do that one. Um, I learned a lot more obviously in terms of other places you can go, but that was, that was kind of the thing at that time. And then when I was in my early twenties and doing other stuff and got really out of shape and got pretty heavy and everything else, it just kind of fell by the wayside, but it never burned out. Um, and then when I was in Tulsa, like and starting, you know, just clean up a little bit, if you will, like wanted to get healthier again, started training again, started getting back in shape. And so it was something that never went away. It was always just kind of there. And then, um, you know, when I got to start working at the fitness center, I started to get more involved. And then when I got hired at the athletic club, it was, it was an opportunity to do this full time and which prior to that in Alpena, that wasn't an opportunity that was there, right? Like we had the fitness center, which is a pretty small establishment. We had the health and racket club, which is a pretty small establishment. Like there wasn't a lot of full-time positions available because they weren't big membership type places. So that was, that was pretty unique. You know, it was just kind of right place, right time. And finally found myself in the spot that it's like, I, I can do this. And um, you know, being in a small town was actually enormously helpful. So working in the biggest, newest, best gym in a small town, it, you know, with some work, it actually became relatively simple to kind of establish yourself as a person within that industry or within that realm, within the area. Whereas 
you retell that same story and I'm in Metro Detroit, forget about it, yeah. right? There's tons of other people that have way more certifications, way more credentials, way more knowledge. I was able to BS myself into a lot of jobs that I would have never got. So you remember when the ice stickers were here? Yep. Um, their coach, it was Kenny Miller at the time, contacted the club and said, hey, we're looking for someone to do our strength and conditioning. Do you know anybody? And Trina's like, oh, yeah, I got a guy. And so she comes up. She's like, hey, these guys are looking for a strength training coach. Do you know anything about training hockey? Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I, well, good news. You didn't grow up in Michigan. I never played hockey a day in my life. Oh, no, I wanted to my whole life. My parents never let me. I went home that night. I bought about six different hockey conditioning books on Amazon, buried my face in them for the next couple of weeks, and kind of just flew by the seat of my pants from there. But that was such a valuable opportunity. I learned a ton there in terms of not only athletic training, conditioning, working with groups, working with coaches, all these different things. And there was a lot of other opportunities that springboarded off that. Um, I would have never got that chance anywhere else. No one's going to show up. Like they would have said, well, I need to see your CSCS. I need to see this. How many other teams you worked with, what's your years? You know, there's so, there can be a lot of benefit. Um, which book was it? Uh, Malcolm Gladwell talks about in David and Goliath. Um, the whole book is about like when weaknesses are not really weaknesses. And it's, if you've ever read any of his stuff, he has really unique takes on a number of different things. And that was one he talked about was, and, and he was looking at kids who went to Harvard versus kids who went to other good schools that weren't Harvard. And you'd watch the trajectory of their careers after. Basically, you could take super bright kids and put them at Harvard. They were used to being big fishes in big ponds or small ponds their whole life. Now they're a tiny fish in a big pond and they would never recover from that. Like they were no longer in the top because they're at Harvard, right? To be in the top, you got to be substantial. And then you'd see kind of this downstroke of their career, whereas there was others that went to smaller schools and kept their big fish status and had spectacular careers, way better than a lot of the Harvard kids because they had that level of confidence. and everything. So it was really, it was fascinating. You know, we all look at it like, you know, well, if we were in the bigger city, we'd have these opportunities or have this available or everything else. And, uh, you know, I mean, I truly believe like Alpine is the land opportunity. So there's a lot of things that people aren't doing and people could jump up and step up into and to establish yourself as a quote unquote expert in an area. It's a little bit easier when you don't have a lot of experts running around. Well, for example, I'm a podcast expert. There you go. <laughs> And I'm not. You are a foremost podcasting expert in Alpina. Yeah. I mean, the only other person I know that has a podcast, I'm just that too. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so, yeah, that was, that was kind of how I got out here, how I got into fitness up here. Uh, worked at Bay Athletic for eight years. Um, you know, learned a lot of stuff and met a lot of great people and had a, you know, a lot of wonderful career jumping off points there and, you know, different things that learned and came across and, um, yeah. So it, it was, it, it's always funny to kind of look back, like just the trajectory of how I even got to Alpina was completely random. Like it was never like a choice. It was just kind of rolling with things when they came along and it led me here. And then even getting back into fitness here, it was, um, you know, like I said, my initial intention was to open a property management company and then pretty quickly realized, Oh, I hate lawn care cleaning. <laughs> And being on call all the time. Like, you know, I talked about like, didn't really do a lot of planning before. I'm like, I'm going to be the king of property management in Alpena, Michigan. Because da, 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 da. Like, which is a pretty good lesson. Because 
you know, at the time, and maybe even still, you could argue that there could be some opportunity in that market at the time. I don't think there was, I know there's a couple other companies that are doing like rental vacation property management now, but at the time there wasn't. And they were a dime a dozen on the West side of the state, which was kind of the allure. It's like, this could be a growing market. You could really get into there. But I learned very quickly. It's like, it doesn't matter what the opportunity is, is if you hate the work. And I just, there was no fulfillment. I didn't like it. It was a constant chore. And I'm like, I am just not cut out to do this. Like, it doesn't matter. So it was just one of those good lessons kind of along the way. And then was lucky enough to be in a position where I could follow something that really filled me up and, you know, made me feel like I was contributing. And, you know, when I was looking into trying to be a better professional outside of work, it didn't feel like work. You know, it was like, I enjoyed reading this stuff. I enjoyed learning and I enjoyed going to these things. And, and that's, that's how you know you're in the right place, right? Like if you're a salesman and you enjoy reading sales books, you're in the right spot. <laughs> if that's what you choose to do on your free time, you're in the right place. So I'm going to pause you there, and then we're going to talk about uh, where we're sitting right now, how she grew to where she's at. And we'll go from there. Sounds good. All right. So we're sitting in performance locker. We are. Um, for those of you who don't know, it is the old Michikiwa's ice rink building. And um, so it's near and dear to a lot of people's hearts. And it looks probably, if you've never been in here and you remember the old ice cream days, it looks not a lot like it used to. It's different. Yeah, <laughs> it's different. You, if you look hard enough, you can still see it's there, of course. Well, we wanted to save bits of it, right? Like, so all these uh, these wooden racks out on the training space floor that we keep equipment and everything in, like those were the original ones from the locker room. All the marks in there are from all the skaters they used to hang out in here. This is the original floor. Um, all the marks are from the people who skated here as a kid and figure skated and played hockey and did all that. Like, there's a lot of Alpena history here. And I've been in the area around 14 years. So I tell this story whenever I get a chance because it's one of the two times in the entire history with my wife that I've been right. <laughs> and I'll tell the other one later. So I didn't... I didn't grow up here. Um, my first winter up here, I remember they still had the outdoor skating rink. And I only know that because I was eating uh, dinner at the courtyard with my parents were up and visiting. And I just happened to look outside. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. There's people skating out there. It's my first winter up here. And I think that was the last winter that the outdoor rink. So the, the, the old ice arena had been torn down for at least a couple few years by that point. Yeah. So it, it had been gone for a little bit. Um, I never saw the old ice rink. Okay. By the time I moved up, that was already gone. So I you know, have no point of reference for that. And I'd never been in this building because that first winter was the first time that I saw this and then it was, it, it was gone. So I was on a bike ride some years ago when we were looking for space. And as you can tell, kind of by our setup and like what we do, like we had some relatively specific space recommendations. You know, we need high ceilings. We needed a lot of openness and you know, there's a lot of amazing spaces available in Alpena, but not all of them fit our needs. And then flooring, such a huge expense. Um, getting, laying this flooring down, like you're talking thousands of dollars, like these rubber tiles, whatever you choose to do fitness wise, something that's not going to cut and gouge, like it's so expensive. So that was, that was a huge part of our, of our opening budget. Um, so I, I happened to be coming back from a bike ride. I was coming whatever, I was out that way. And I was coming north on town on 23 and finishing up. And every now and again, I'd stop at Neiman's and get like, you know, a little snack or whatnot. And then it's one more mile to my house from here. 
and I'd stopped and I'd got my little snack and I was walking around the park and I like, it was a building for me that for whatever reason, just kind of always blended in the background. And that day I was like, Oh, there's a building there. And I stopped and I was looking in the windows. I was like, it's pretty sweet. I was like, and they got rubber floor. And oh my gosh, look at those ceilings. And I had never been in, I'd never seen before. So I go home and I said, Hey, there's like that abandoned building down at Michikiwis. And she didn't know what it, she's like the water treatment plant. And I'm like, no, it's like this gray one. And da, da, da. she'll go, Oh, the old ice arena warming shelter. I'm like, yeah, yeah. What about that? She's like, no, that would never work. I'm like, okay. like I'd never been in. So clearly she had some inside information that I did not have. Fast forward a couple months. She was talking to a couple people in her office and said like, yeah, I'm working for space. Well, Casey mentioned this and they were like, Oh my God, that's an amazing idea. You should go talk to the city like right now. And so she came home. She's like, you remember when you were talking about that thing? <laughs> I think we should pursue it. I'm like, really? Why do you think that? So, but it was the reason she did that. See, I can't even own my victory. I got a defender. Um, the reason she did that was like, she had just always known it as the ice rink. Like yeah. it can't be anything else because, you know, and, and she grew up here. So she's got a ton of fond memories here. She's, you know, my, my, my mother-in-law would drop her and Ben off to ice skate and go shopping and like they would do stuff like that all the time. And so it, it was just like, it was hard to visualize it as anything else. So yeah, when, uh, when we decided to do that, we started talking to the city and we're like, listen, we got this idea. And I mean, the thing had been sitting vacant for 10 years. Um, we really had to do very little to it. I mean, the building's got great bones. We put a lot of paint on it, a lot of paint. Like I might not pick up a paintbrush for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> It was just a lot. And every single, every single brick, block, whatever, Steve's going to kill me. Um, it's a, all of them had to be painted. So <laughs> it was it was a bit much. All the high stuff and we had to get some scaffolding in and sore necks and long things. And it's just, it's a lot of square footage. And, uh, you know, we, we, changed up the locker rooms. We pulled and put the floors in there that were the old locker rooms and repainted those and knocked out a couple of privacy walls in the back one to make the room for the Pilates classes and the yoga classes. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's pretty much the same. So your gym, personal your training gym. studio. How dare well, you, sir? Which is why I did that. Fighting <laughs> words. Here we go. I'm using my words. I know how to wear it. But you're lucky you're on that side so of the table. If you were to come in here, you would not see any treadmills. Nope. You do not see any ellipticals, yeah. so it's a little bit different. It, it's very different, and it's uh, you know, it's a it's a challenge, but it's one that we knew was going to be one, and one we've accepted since day one. So we're a very different model. We are for we are a personal training studio, right? So uh, more boutique style, if you will. Everything we do is small, uh, small groups, very individualized. So you know, the idea from a space like this is how do we take something like personal training, which is normally one on one type deal. How do we put it in a group setting? Because there's a lot of power in that environment in terms of cohesiveness and connectivity and competition, good competition, like, you know, people spurring other people on, even just standing next to someone else. Sometimes you're going to give a little bit more or try a little bit harder, do a little bit better accountability. You know, we, we, we call our workouts, small tribe workouts for the certain time frames, And they are tribes, you know, we get the regulars that come to those. And so when one of them doesn't show the other one's like, where were you this morning? Okay. They, you know, they text each other and they talk and like, that's what we wanted. Like, you know, we wanted something very small, very communal. Um, and, and it's a very different model than a gym, right? A gym is, you know, a big space, lots of weights, lots of machines, lots of equipment. You pay a monthly rate, you go do your own thing. Um, you know, you have the option to do training and boot camps and group X, things that are more supervised. Some of them are including your membership, some are not. 
um, we wanted to do something very different. We wanted to go more the studio um, route for a number of different reasons, right? It it fits my background. It fits my my style and you know my strengths a little bit better. Um, being in an environment that we can kind of slow things down, we can work on mechanics, we can put people in proper proper positions. Um, you know, I, I love being able to confidently tell people like we can fix that, right? Like uh, people who have had, you know, shoulder issues, squat issues, things like that. Like we exist in an environment, we can dig into those things and we can make sure that you have the attention that you need. You, you can have the, you will get the attention you need in order to improve those movement patterns, but not at the detriment of the other people in the room. And that was always like, so, you know, when I would lead boot camps and if I'd have 30 people and if I had one person that was really struggling with something and just, you know, wasn't grasping a concept or just needed some extra time or work, or maybe we're doing something a little bit over their head, that was hard because it was hard to give that person the attention that they needed and deserved without taking away from the other 29 people in the group. So then you're left with this really crappy decision, which is, well, do I give them what they need? Or do I kind of half ignore them because I got 29 other people that I have to pay attention to? And it was just after a while, it became an environment that was tougher and tougher and tougher for me to, to excel in. Um, and, you know, we didn't, we're the first training studio like in Alpena and the only one within the entire region of Northeast Michigan. So it's, it's a different model. It's something that's not completely always understood. We get compared mm -hmm. to a gym a lot in that realm. Um, and you know, a lot of people look at our, either our schedule or our offerings and be like, that's really expensive. And it's, it's not a gym. Like, you know, so it's, it's hard cause you can't compare it apples to oranges. So or apples to apples. those of you who don't know, I hurt my shoulder. I mean, you know this cause you're, you brought me, I worked, I trained here. So, um, whatever happened, it doesn't really matter, but I strained my shoulder out to the point where I couldn't even, I couldn't, the thing that when I know I hit critical mass for me is. Um, my daughter had a basketball game. She was in seventh grade, and at eighth, the most she would game would get over, and the eighth graders would come, and she would go to the locker room. At eighth grade, then my littlest and I would go shoot baskets in the other gym, and I went with him into that gym, and I couldn't even shoot a layup. My shoulder got so bad, it was just so torn up that I couldn't even lift my arm over my head. Like it was just terrible. So I went to the doctor, and he said, "You're going to need any surgery or physical therapy." And I was like, okay, so I went to the physical therapy session and they were, or met with them and they were like, it's going to be about $100 a visit. And I was like, you, a month? No. no. Per, per, visit. per visit. That's what. And I, I want you to go two to three times a yeah. week. And I, but, but I have insurance. Yeah, exactly. And then two or three times a week, I was like, that's $300 a week, $100 a month, right? <clears throat> all for my shoulder. There's no way. And now, mind you, at this time, I was running all over Alpena. And right. I was, I considered myself rather a person at the time. But I simply couldn't, like, and any time I would do anything, anything, and I got my arm over my head, I was just further causing more problems with myself. You know, you hit on something, though, that's really profound that it took me a long time to learn. <clears throat> you can be a super fit person and a very poor mover. Like, they're not the same thing. Yes. Like, movement capabilities, movement patterns, and level of fitness or performance or secondary characteristics, like, they're not the same thing. In fact, when we get into positions where our, our, let's call them our capabilities of foundational, functional baseline movements, whatever you want to call it, your hinge patterns, your squat patterns, inline patterns, shoulder mobility, if those are really low or diminished, but yet you have a, a, a 
you know, a really strong basis of fitness, strength, endurance, power, speed, that gap is where injury lives, right? So the goal is how do we address your movement capabilities so that you're not running into that? So the whole premise that we built the space on and the reason that we train the way we train and why we do what we do, and I can talk a little bit about that more in depth if you'd like, but is like your story resonates so much with me and so many other people. And, and when I say resonates with me is in the sense that like no one should ever have to say that, right? You should, you, someone like yourself should never, I don't want you to ever have to say the sentence like, I'd like to do blank, but I'd like to play basketball with my daughter, but I got this shoulder thing. I'd like to learn how to paddleboard, but I don't think my balance is there. Like we want to try and remove the butts. Um, you know, we run into so many people and there's so many of us just in the world that we live in. And I mean, that's a whole different rabbit hole. We don't even have to go down, but that have some sort of physical, have some sort of movement thing, right? Something's going on. Something is underlying within there. There's a chink in the armor somewhere along the lines. There's some sort of either compensation or compensatory pattern or dysfunction within one of our baseline movement patterns. If left unchecked, we just get really good at going around it. The problem with going around it is we start to wear down other things, right? So when you look at the body in terms of movement, there's certain joints or certain areas that should hold their shape, and there's other ones that should allow for range of motion. When the ones that are supposed to move stop moving, they start to borrow mobility from the ones that are supposed to hold still. The problem is, is those things aren't made to move, so they start to wear down. It's almost like if you put a door on the frames and it's misaligned a little bit, every time you open and close the door, you get that little hinge dust down on the ground. Well, when you start to add fitness on top of that misalignment, all you get is more hinge dust, right? The more you run, the more you burpee, the more whatever you do, all you're doing is opening and closing that door more and faster. You're just building up the hinge dust more and more. And then eventually you're going to get something that's way off kilter or something breaks or something snaps because that's the nature of wearing down those things. So, you know, the goal is how do we address movement first before we start to look into secondary characteristics? But then how do we do it in an environment that's not clinical? And I don't mean that as a negative, but like, like let's be honest, like when people come to work out, like you want to feel like you worked out, right? I don't want to leave and be like, yawn right? Like you want to sweat, you want to feel some level of challenge, some level of accomplishment. So, uh, you know, we use a tool called the FMS, the functional movement systems, functional, functional movement screen. It's a little seven pattern test that we're looking at baseline movement characteristics. And all it does is it helps us identify, okay, for Steve, this pattern, this pattern, this pattern, there's something going on there, but the rest of the four we're good, right? So when you come in, go through your screen, we notice your lunch pattern, it's fine. You can condition that pattern. We can do jumping lunges. We can do walking lunges. We can load the lunges. We can, you can lunge until you puke. We can do high volume. We can make you sweaty and uncomfortable, right? So that's something we can do. But we also noticed you didn't have the shoulder mobility that we should have. So that's not a pattern we want to condition. We need to back that down. You shouldn't be working overhead yet. And that's the big thing. It's like, just because we go through this screen, it's not a death sentence. It doesn't mean that, hey, listen, man, you know, all those exercises that you love, we're never doing those ever again. We're going to push pause on them right now because all you're doing is creating more hinge dust. We're going to work on trying to reclaim some of those motions. Once we have, let's add it back in.
And then let's just monitor it to make sure that those movements are happening the way that they should. And then you get into a point where you can do stuff you want to do. So, you know, it's funny, like we don't do weight here. We don't do measurements. We don't do short duration challenges. Like it's just, it just doesn't fit with what what we're doing. Um, And, you know, our whole thing with, with weight is like, it's a secondary component, right? And a lot of times when we notice people are very scale focused, they tend to go too hard, too soon, too fast. They work at unsustainable levels. They end up falling off. They get on this roller coaster or they create more hinge dust. You know, it's like, okay, you got a hip thing, but in your mind, you're like, well, I got to lose weight, which means I got to run more, which all it's going to do is anger that thing. So, you know, when we have an opportunity to, so, you know, the success stories that, that I hear, the ones that really, really make my heart smile are when, you know, someone comes in and we address a few different patterns or a few different things that are wrong, or they're like, God, you know, this knee's been bothering me or this ankle or this or this or this. If we can get to them to a point where not only are they moving better, where those things are no longer a concern, but then fast forward, they're like, you know, I think I want to try biking. I think I want to try, like, we've had so many people that have discovered other things outside of here that, and I'm not trying to toot our own horn, but like, they were not able to discover before because whether it be physically or mentally, they had some sort of block, you know, something that was stopping them from either doing it or having the confidence to do it. You know, sometimes people just need a little bit more confidence in their movements and their skills and someone to say, yeah, you're doing a really great job. Like that's how that should look. That's how that should feel. And they're like, oh, really? And then they're able to jump into another thing. So, you know, when I see people take up running that didn't run before, take up biking that didn't bike before, paddling, whatever it is, like that's a win. Like that's, that's really and yeah, we, we get thrilled with those. Yep. And for me, it's always funny because every time I put a coat on, I think about it because I had a, I used to put my coat, my right end arm first and then I put my left end and then my shoulder got so bad I had to change out put my you coat. Switch it, go the I had to switch my left arm. Remember you telling me about that? Yep. And now every time I put my coat back in, and I still put my coat in with the left because I changed the, just I, as we talked about at that time. Changed the pattern. I just changed the way I did it right. to, to offset it. Right. But now, even though I still, it's 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 tough for people though because we've been conditioned like it's amazing you can take someone in that same position and you know we get to the point that that you got to and they're like oh my gosh like i just accepted that that was always going to hurt i just figured that was it like that's the way it is and there's no going back and it is what it is and i'm just going to deal with it and move on i think in a lot of like you know they say like if you put it if if you try and put a frog in boiling water, it's going to jump out right away. But if you put it in cold water and slowly raise the heat, it'll sit in there until it boils to death. And a lot of people get into that with some sort of pain or dysfunction is that, you know, it's just been slowly building over so long that they're just like, meh, this is what it is. If they were able to kind of jump out of that situation, they'd be like, no, I'm not accepting that. And I honestly, for so much of it, it is a level of acceptance. Like, you have the ability to say, no, like, I, I'm not going to accept this. This does not have to be my status quo. I can improve this. There's, there are things I can do and there's ways that I can make this better. And I, I don't have to live with this particular thing. And, you know, in all fairness, like our industry, fitness industry is guilty of creating that mindset. I mean, what's one of the most popular slogans in fitness and has been for years. No pain, no gain, right? You should be hurting. Like, it is a bombshell when you're talking to some people and you're like, no, 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 no. Like we should never, ever, ever have pain in a training setting ever. It is never okay. It's never acceptable. Suffering is totally fine. 
<laughs> right? I am fine with you suffering, but pain is never okay. And how you know the difference is, is if you stop an activity, pain will linger. Suffering will cease immediately. If I'm riding my bike up a really steep hill and I'm completely miserable, the second I stop, I'm not miserable anymore, right? But if I stop and something continues to linger, like that's pain. And all pain is, is a way of your body trying to communicate with you. It's saying, hey, you're doing this thing this way and I don't like it. Please change it. But we've gotten so conditioned to ignore that thing that, again, more hinge dust. All we're doing is grinding and grinding and grinding. So it's, um, it's, it's different. It's challenging sometimes because, you know, we're, we're a very different model. We exist in a very different way. Our workouts are very, very different that people are used to and accustomed to. The space is different. If I had a nickel for everybody who came in and doing the look around, be like, where's the treadmills? We don't have any. I remember talking to one person before we opened and they're like, oh, tell us about your gym. I'm like, well, we're opening a training studio and very, very nice individual. And they're like, well, you're going to have treadmills? Nope. Are you going to have ellipticals? Nope. You're going to have free weights? Nope. And then in that moment, you could see the hamster fall off the wheel. He's like, so what are you going to do? Like there was just no, couldn't fathom if we didn't have those staples, like then what, what do you do? Like, and, and but that's, that's true. Like if you've never been in a, you know, in that type of environment, you wouldn't expect anybody to understand that. So that's awesome. So the performer talker also um, has picked up the mantle, so to speak, of running the parade. So um, we'll talk about that next. Sounds good. <clears throat> All right, so we are two days away from the 4th of July parade. It is sponsored by Lafarge and Performance Locker. And you have picked up the mantle of kind of organizing the whole thing. Yeah, we run it. So remember I told you I was going to tell you story number two when yes. I was right? So, so this will be parade number three. And we picked it up, it would have been spring of whatever three parades were ago. And uh, <laughs> I don't know math. The chamber for a couple years was, you know, had made it known that like, hey, we're not going to do this forever. We're looking for, you know, hopefully like a local business to step up and take the reins of this or an individual, anybody, right? Like, you know, like looking for someone to basically manage, organize, set it out. And when I got wind of it, I said to Mary Beth, I'm like, we, I think we could do that. And her response was like, no, I, I, do you have any idea how much work that's going to be and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, we're doing this and this and this. And so, once again, like she's normally right. So I'm like, I'm not going to question it. Okay. And um, so then it got to a point and, and I don't, I don't know all the details, but it got to a, a point where there was kind of a meeting that was called and a lot of, you know, very involved people in the community and prominent business owners and things like that were there. And, you know, you know, you have kids. So especially when they're young, if one goes, the other is not going. It's very rare that her and I are the same thing together. So it was one of those like, listen, you go. You're the CVB director. It makes sense for you to be there. This is very community involved. I'll stand with the kids and just let's talk about it when you get home. I'm, I'm really anxious to hear what was said, what was happened, you know, what's the state of the union. And she got home and she's like, ah, I think we could do it. And so like the meeting there was just a lot of information that was kind of revealed and the chamber was like, this is how it works and this is how it goes and this is it. And, you know, we really started talking about it and she got home from this meeting late. It was probably after 10 and it was not that much before the fourth. I want to say late winter, early spring, sometime around there. Like, so it's not like it was a year out or anything. It was creeping. And, uh, 
yeah, she got home. She's first thing she said when she came to the door, she's like, I think we could do it. We started chatting and she told me what went on and what was said and all the different things that, that happened. And so we sent Jackie an email, like literally on the spot. We're like, we'll take it. We're in. So, um, 4th of July for me up here, it's always been kind of a, it's like we were talking about Thanksgiving earlier, right? And like you get to a point, you're like, why would I leave? Like, just look at everything that's going on there. So I grew up in Metro Detroit. Fourth of July in Metro Detroit is not like it here in any way, shape or form. Um, you know, I had a couple friends that had boats, but good luck trying to use them on any Saturday, let alone a fourth of July day. I mean, it was two hours to launch the boat, two hours to wait to pick it back up and you could only drive under it. Like it just... Our 4th of July's down where I grew up were not super memorable. You know, we'd kind of hang out during the day. We'd go to, we'd maybe barbecue or something like that. And there's a sense of community. Oh my God. It's like, it's just crazy. And I don't think, I don't mean this in a negative or derogatory way in any shape or form, but like, I don't think if, if you've grown up here, I don't think you can, I don't think everybody who grew up here fully appreciates that. Right. I know there are some that do, but so growing up down there and, you know, 4th of July was like, we'd go to this friend's house. We'd play with some sparklers. We'd go to the fireworks, but fireworks were always like almost kind of a hassle, right? You're parking 15 miles away from where they are with a bunch of kids and schlepping in and, ooh, ah, and then you're, and there's four gajillion people around. And so it was, yeah, like it was just a different experience. So then I move up here and the first couple that I got to experience and be a part of around here in town, it was just like, oh my God, like. The fireworks, of course, sandcastle contest, the parade. I had never seen a live 4th of July parade prior to moving up here. And I remember seeing the first one. I was just like, this is magical. Like, this is amazing. And it's all the local businesses and everybody. And like, like, yes. And people, you know, on the floats. Like when I grew up, we'd watch the Macy's Day sometimes on Thanksgiving. But that's, you know, it's down in Detroit or you watch the New York one. And I don't know these people. And I'm sitting out know you and I know you. I'm like, so this is something that you can participate in. And the first couple of years I was at BAC, we did the the 4th of July parade and we did the, that was, you know, I was like, you can be in it? <laughs> really? Like anybody? And so it was just like, I don't know. There's always this nostalgia for me because like I said, 4th of July here is just not like it is in the rest of the country. And I mean, like it's better here than it is anywhere else in, in my opinion. And so when that became available, it's like, you know, that's, that's just such a cool thing. And what a cool thing to be able to like help put that on, help create it. There was a longtime client of mine. I, I, I started working with her years and years and years ago when I was at Bay Athletic Club. And then uh, you work, continue to work with her when we opened Performance Locker. And it was Gail Houston. And she passed a little over a year and a half ago. Had some, some health issues and complications and died way too young. And it was just one of my favorite people. She was in sales. She was wise. She was brilliant. And I mean, I just remember like, and I knew her when I was like in that, I was a bit of a shithead when I was in like my mid twenties and kind of like knew too much. Mm-hmm. Wink, wink. Right. Like just, I, I had no idea. You know, like I was that guy. I was like, yeah, I'm pretty much an expert in anything I know. Um, even though there was a whole world out there and there still is that I don't even know exists. I'm just more aware of it now than I was then. But she was, she was just, you know, there's certain people in your life that like, they're not bosses, they're not family members. And like, I'm sure if you would have ever asked her if she ever had a bit of impact in like my life professionally and personally, she would have said no. But like, 
it just some people, right? Like just have a very big impact. And she always, like she would always say, like she loved the 4th of July parade and her family owns, I can't remember the name of it, it's the, the little optical place that's right on Chisholm, right near Dr. Beatty's dentist office. Um, oh God, it's going to kill me. I can't remember the name. Anyway, but they had a storefront right on Chisholm. So they'd always like kind of block off the front. They do like food and little kind of party thing every year. And she invited us to it a couple of times and she just loved the parade. And she said, it is, what did she say? Every single year, the quote would come up like once or twice. She's like, it's just, it's just a perfect slice of Americana, which is just such a unique phrase. But that was every year, like perfect slice of Americana. I think there's two people in Alpino during the fourth. There's the people that go to a lake or to a water destination. So for those people, they maybe don't participate in the parade or care about the parade. They worry about getting the boat out, getting on the lake and getting where they need to get. For everybody else, though, yeah, Fourth of July doesn't start till the break. I would agree. I mean, that's kind of the unofficial start of the fourth, <clears throat> and then everybody's downtown. Everything goes around downtown, right? And then, you know. yeah. So from there, Maritime Fest, uh, Sandcastle contest. I mean, every year there's like there's more and more. That's continuing to kind of uh, there's just there's so much stuff to do. There's so much stuff to see and family and barbecues. It's just it's just amazing. So it was funny when it came up. And I just, I always remember Gail and just, you know, it's perfect slice of Americana and just how much joy she got out of that. And so like, like we, it just, it romanticized the entire idea of being at the helm, if you will, and helping to make that happen and create that experience for other people. So each year you do a theme. I don't know if people are aware of this. It's a newer thing. Yeah. We just started that. So your theme this year is? Rosie the Riveter. And that's another cool thing. Um, Mary Beth's great aunt Dorothy was a legit real life Rosie the Riveter. She just passed away a couple months ago. And uh, so for people who don't know, women in the workplace in the 40s, there was not many. And if they were, they were in very specific jobs. Like there was women's jobs. No one can see the air quotes. So I I can't do those when we're on the podcast. (laughs) Um, Do you do all the time? Yeah. I'm a big fan of the air quotes. But uh, so when all the men went away to fight in World War II, there was all this support that was needed for the war effort, but there was no one to fill the jobs because a lot of these jobs were traditionally filled by men who were now fighting overseas. So the Rosary River campaign was a way to encourage and spur women into the workforce and work in jobs that women had never worked in before. I mean, it you could make a pretty strong art. Like it was incredibly significant in terms of women's rights and, and moving forward and becoming, you know, more equal and getting more opportunities and getting into the workforce. Like it was, it was one of those things in our country that was a big movement that wasn't planned as a movement. You know, it happened because of something else going on, but the ripple effect went very, very, very deep um, and very long for, for time to come. So uh, it was inspired by Aunt Dorothy and just, you know, trying to recognize you know, we have those women in our community and just what a cool way to pay homage. So you're going to, how is that going to work? So we've been having people uh, give us uh, applications so people could nominate the Grand Marshal as a Rosie the Riveter. And, you know, we got a few in and had to make some tough decisions. And there were some other ones that, you know, weren't able to participate or, you know, just things come up and whatnot. But, uh, you know, we were able to pick out one that we want to, we want to highlight. And that will be announced either tomorrow on Facebook or the day of the fourth. That's awesome. So yeah, it, um, 
One of my favorite parts about the parade is being able to divvy out the grand marshal position. And not because it's like, I have the power to like, if you kind of look at our grand marshals the first couple of years, they're more unsung heroes, right? Like the first guy was uh, this cat named Leonard who was like 96, 95. He was awesome. He was so fucking freaking cool. I just, <laughs> oh my God. My favorite, so World War II vet. And I can't remember how we were introduced to him, but like, man, how cool to have a World War II veteran. Because unfortunately, like there's not many of them left. Right? Like these guys are getting up there. And uh, he was just the cutest old man. And red, white, and blue headed, you know, the, the military cap on everything else. And I got a phone call. It was from his daughter or his granddaughter, who was kind of like the one that we were putting this together through. And once we got everything set up and Matt yeah. always drives the car and Cliff Anschutz always is gracious enough to donate the grand marshal vehicle. And uh, granddaughter calls and it's like, well, grandpa was wondering if he could bring his gal. It's like, yes, he can bring his gal only because he said gal. Yeah. Had he said anything else, I would have said no. But it was just, it was like, yes. Like, oh my God, of course. <laughs> that year, for some reason, we had this super fancy Corvette. Yes. And all I remember is, you know, once Matt and I got the cars down there, I got to meet the guy and he was just like, just kept staring at the Corvette the whole time. And it was just, he was so cool. Yeah, was. And then last year, uh, Gail, who was the grand marshal, a career military man, drill sergeant, like, I mean, state trooper, just one of those people who has literally given his whole life in service and has never really seen any recognition. And I mean, like he served and it was just cool. Like, and he's, he's not a very outward, outgoing, emotional guy. He's actually neighbors of one of our friends. And that's how I got to you know meet him and everything. He was beaming. All day, like that. He came completely in dress uniforms, and I was just like, just seeing that reaction and just that. Yeah, it was so cool. It was just absolutely amazing. So, in a very selfish way, being able to provide that type of opportunity for people is probably one of my favorite parts of the career. So, last week we had Ann Gentry on. We yep. talked about the Christmas parade. Yep. Now we have you on here this week, and we're talking about the Brother July parade. Right. So, our goal is to have this out tonight. I'm going to try to flip it up really quick so that way people listening tomorrow can hopefully get a little bit excited for the parade that's going to be Wednesday. So. Yeah, we're fired up. Um, something we're trying this year, and I'm, I think it's going to go really well. I'm, I'm hoping I'm hoping it continues to build steam. <clears throat> so at the front of the parade, not the front front, like color guard and you know normal order and things, but pretty close to the front, um, we're inviting both uh, active duty military and veterans to march with us. Just super informal, low-key, show up, friends, family, whoever you want to walk with. Wear a t-shirt, says Army, something that, you know, so we can recognize you. Uh, Omega Electric donated a couple of really nice banners so we can identify active and veterans and just to have them walk at the front of the parade so they can just, so we can say thank you. I was thinking, how cool would it be if just like 400 flipping people to show up? I'm trying not to set my expectations yeah. too high. Like I'm, if five show up for each, yeah. to win. Yes. And if nothing else, like people be like, oh, we can do that and maybe stuff. But it's just, it, it, you know, it, it doesn't even matter. Right. Because at the end of the day, you know, when we decided to do that, it's like, again, here are people who have sacrificed the majority of their adult lives for people they've never met, you know, doing very difficult work. And a lot of them, you know, especially the vets got some stories to tell. And just what a wonderful way to just. I think it's neat they to, have be able to recognize. Yeah. It just, it's a great opportunity to do that. Yeah. So we just, 
like I said, we want to keep it low key. Just people show up at around 1030 and just say, hey, I'm here to walk with the active, here to walk with the vets. We're going to say, okay, stand right here and we'll roll out when we go. So that's uh, we we were at CRTC was uh, very gracious and they donated a couple vehicles. Um, so if any of the vets need to ride instead of walk, we got we got some seats and some spaces for them. So encourage people to come out. Well, we hope to see people there. Yeah, me too. It's gonna be a good time. So we're gonna get right down to the nitty gritty. We got two top fives this week because we, we were going to do a Batman one, and then I made the assumption you know happens when you assume. Get an ass man out of yourself. So what movie I was assumed it? that Brad was a huge Batman fan. What I learned was that Brad is not. So I was like, Ooh. but I go, I'm not going to take that away from Casey because I know that. I appreciate that, I, sir. <laughs> it's mutual. I've been looking forward to our time. When I got that first message, I almost, like I cried a little bit. I was like, it's their show. I'm going to roll with it. But I really I wanted to do that. that I misread it. I misread it. That was the problem. It was the first one. I was like, I misread. And they was like, no, 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 we get to do both. I was like, oh, thank you. So we're going to do one with me and Casey. We're going to do our top five Batman storylines coming up. Yes. And then Brad and Casey are going to do top five Star Wars moments. moments. So uh, we'll shut this one down and we'll start that one up. So you guys are about to do your Star Wars. So I feel good because what I'm going to do is I'm judging you both. Since I do know, I feel like a little bit about Star Wars. I feel somewhat educated. What are you judging this based on? Like, what's the criteria? Personal, just like just, yes, no. Yeah. I mean, we're going to start a five worker way to one. That's what we do, and then through that whole thing. So what if they're in a non-specific order? You should try to figure that out. <sighs> okay, so here's my deal <laughs> with both of these. Like coming up with five, it's hard. extremely difficult. And then ordering them. Yeah. That's what I struggle with. I actually have six and I have a game time decision. For that, but oh, no, I have like, so, for the other one, I have like nine. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of see how we roll. So I'll start with Brad. Brad, you're number five. Number five. My number five Star Wars moment is Anakin slash Darth Vader learns that Padme is dead. Really? Yes. So probably the most. This, the <laughs> yell that he gets. No. And it's really what sets – it's really that moment sets what happens in 4, 5, 6 in motion. Okay, I'm going to go out of order because I just want to piggyback on that because one of the ones I wrote down – okay, I'll go in order. I'll follow your rules. <laughs> follow your rules. All right, number five. Okay. We're going to come back to that because right. that's, that, that's a legit moment. So well done, sir. Um, I, I mean you don't need my approval for your moments, but <laughs> – <laughs> Okay, number five. Uh, Darth Maul fighting Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan in the end of Phantom Menace. So I just, That was dope. Yes. And I just learned that Darth, Darth Maul is alive. Or yeah. that he lived. Clone Wars. Yes. Yeah. Yes. But here's the thing. So Clone Wars, like the novels, right, was under Lucasfilms. This is pre the purchase of Disney. So when Disney purchased Star Wars, any of the novels, any of those, some of those stories were no longer considered part of the canon in terms of they were not recognized as Star Wars stories. So I don't know where the Clone Wars sits because that was a Lucasfilm thing, but they... A lot of people say that Snoke could be Maul. They're saying there's that. This doesn't make my list. 
but like in Last Jedi, two of my favorite things that seem to drive everybody else nuts, which I don't get. I loved how like you never find out who Snoke is because it doesn't matter. Yeah. Like in in the first trilogy, you never found out who the Emperor was or his backstory. He was just the top bad guy. Like that was it. Like there doesn't always have to be this story 18 layers deep that connects to something. Like you just, it is, it is, he's just the bad guy, right? It doesn't matter how he got there for this part of the story. It just is. And that race parents are nobody. Yeah. I love that. Cause it's like, we, again, we go back to like, well, you have to be Anakin we- Skywalker's son to be someone's like, I love just the messaging of like, you do not have to be from Royal blood or some lineage to be someone significant. And how much do we talk about that? I mean, oh, even we had so much leaning up. Who's who's raised parents? Oh my gosh, we're gonna find that. And out. they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. We don't care. Like I loved it. I thought that was honestly one of the best ways they could have played that, and I thought it was amazing. The only problem with that is that Kylo told her that she was sold for beer money. Like, this seems kind of dumb. <laughs> I think it was. Oh, don't come here. The movie was not without its. Well, that's, that was my only problem <laughs> with that one. She was sold for beer money. Right? Well, 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 you have been all right for field reserves. No. Okay. All right. Number four. <laughs> and I think Phantom Menace gets a bad rap. I'm sorry. Yeah, I it agree. Does. Like, and so. All right. My number four is Yoda Trains Luke. So, whole Dagobah system? Yeah. Stuff like all Empire? In, in yoga today, I know I'm not supposed to be thinking about other things, but... It always came back to this list, and the big thing in that was when Luke was training out in the forest, he was encountered by Darth Vader. Yes. And he chops his head off, and the helmet explodes, and there's Luke's face is in there. Because if he follows that path towards anger and fear, it'll be him in the mask. And Yoda just shakes his head. Just shook his head. Disappointing. Not ready. <laughs> Not ready. Um, Number four. You know, fun fact, interesting though. Mary Beth used to really struggle with yoga because she never thought she could like turn off her mind until she had the realization. And this is completely true. Like meditation or like emptying your, it's not about not having thoughts. It's about not holding on to them. Right. So you can be in a very meditative state where you're just letting stuff pass. Just like let it roll through. So don't, don't yoga shame yourself because you got thoughts in your head. That's totally acceptable. You just let it roll. Like you let it come, you let it go. You just don't hang on to it. That's my Yoda moment for you, Bradley. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know anything about yoga, but I'm surrounded by some really awesome teachers. So every now and again, I picked up a thing or two. Um, okay, number... No pressure. Okay, number four. Vader's first breath in Revenge of the Sith. So right before your number five. Mask is coming down. You know, you see the thing clicks. And I saw that in the theater here. And so I grew up downstate, so I'm a bit of a theater snob. Mm-hmm. Now, theaters are not my favorites. My one gripe about the entire time. Oh. Just throw that out there. I, I, we, we're we're going to talk about that some other time. It's fine. Now, keep in mind, I've also broken no less than a dozen chairs at the theater, just me personally. So, like, I so, just went to my first real movie theater experience this last on vacation. Oh, uh, really? IMAX, reclining, yeah. power reclining, cup holder. For my, so, I had a beer. Tell me how hard it is to go. Well, put it this way. Allison has already said, you know, we like to go away for just yeah, a weekend once, totally. a, once a month. She goes, that's what we're going to do. She goes, one week when it's in the wintertime and we don't feel like going to Traverse City, yeah. we're just going to go back to that theater and just go there and whatever's playing. We're, we're going to watch. So one of, like, when I travel, I often travel by myself and I'm just gone for a day or two, like teaching something somewhere. 
and I'll usually be in some large metropolitan area and I'm by myself. And so going to movies, one of the nights I'm there, it happens relatively frequently. And so it's kind of one of those things that I save up for. And I've gotten to the point in my life where I have no problem going, one, please. <laughs> Sitting there all by my lonesome, like, whatever. Um, but yeah, so I, I remember sitting in the theater here. It was at the Royal Night when that came out. So that would have been, what, 2005? Somewhere around there? Which, yeah. And uh, pull it, like, mask comes down, click, and then just, like, I've never heard a room so quiet because everybody was waiting for it. And, and then I think you actually looked through. You did. Yeah. As it's coming yeah, down. Yeah, but then, so like you're looking through it, it's coming down. Then it clicks, and you hear the little, as like that last, the air that was stuck in the mask siphons out or vacuums out, and then just, you could hear a pin drop from four blocks away. And then just, and everyone's like, ah! So that one stuck for me. I really like that. So similar moment right there. It was Vader becoming Vader. That was just like, in my mind, that was the moment. And in yours, it was the. Number three, Brad, right? Number three, Darth Vader kills Obi-Wan. Right. And why? It's just... We knew it was a big moment, but we really didn't know why. Right? I guess. That's true. That's true. And I guess I never thought of that. Obi-Wan just gave himself up. Oh, right. And the way he passed, right? Right. He just disappeared. Right. So, like, you, like Brad said, you really don't understand it. It felt weird, like... Shouldn't be an arm being laid on the ground or sliced down the middle. Like. Was it you who shared with me that like ridiculous conspiracy? So basically every time a Jedi dies, they just like disappear into nothing except for Qui-Gon. So was he really a Sith? Because he didn't like every other time they just like poof and they're gone. And there's their rope lying there. But Qui-Gon got straight up. It's an interesting theory. Yeah. I kind of I like that one. But no, you make a, a valid point because it was like, especially in that era of filmmaking like good guys didn't die and to get that late in the movie and then shoot number three you're in the top, top three now so i'm, I'm in the top three big stuff from both of you they're not big but they're significant to me and i think so rewinding it's the beauty of something like star wars like comic books whatever like we'll sit here and we'll judge and we'll rib and whatnot but at the end of the day like these things have staying powers because they have some level of personal or cultural significance to you and you and me in some way and some time for something that just resonates with you personally. And that's, you know, I love these conversations because in a weird way, you kind of learn a lot about people, just, you know, what they were doing at that time. Like what, you know, what was the significance? What was, yeah. So it was, uh, I guess I should get my number three now. I, I digress. It's all right. Um, it's going to be hard. You know what's hard about this for me is of these number three, two of them are from newer movies. It's all right. And, but I almost feel like a little bit sacrilege that like all five of mine did not come from the original trilogy. You know what I mean? I can see that. So I'm going to do it this way. Number three would be the Millennium Falcon battle in The Force Awakens. Here's why. Like the first one where you're introduced to the ship and they're flying around Jakku and going through like all the, the boneyard and whatnot. <clears throat> We were all fans and all old enough when the prequels came out that we went and saw them in the theaters and everything else. And as we talked about earlier, like not well received overall. And, you know, even though like I think they all have their place, I think all the prequels have their moments like they don't hold up to the original trilogy, but they have their place in the story and they definitely have their shining moments. I, I, 
And I think they get the poor end of the stick from time to time. However, when Force Awakens was coming out, that's what you're coming off of. You're like, okay, we just had that. So when Force Awakens was announced, it was right after Disney bought Lucasfilms. So everybody's like, eh, is this going to get all Mickey Mouse? Like, what is Disney going to do with this? Are they going to honor it? Or are they going to do whatever they want because they're Disney and go this way or make it all whatever? And so you had that going on. You had the prequels and how that kind of sat with people. So tell me if I'm wrong, but when you sat down for Force Awakens, there's a part of you that's going, I don't know how this is going to go. Right, like the trailers were amazing and there was stuff, but like there so, had to be a part of you that you're just like not sure. Here's well, there was a part I wasn't sure. I, uh, this is the one thing that stuck with me. Okay. Is I was listening to a Kevin Smith interview. Yes. About he was able to go on the set of Force Awakens. I heard that. Yeah. Yes. And he got to get, he, he was there on the, the Millennium Falcon set. Yep. And he said when he got to go there, he started actually crying. Yes. And I was like, going to be good it's because be good. he's one of the people that oh yeah he gets like he's he, like yes. you and me and yes probably a, a fan to a point where you're like okay you're kind of weird like let it go there's no know? such thing yeah but well that's what i mean so there's <laughs> there's that point where you're like oh my gosh so i just remember sitting in the theater and like that moment right when they like they're like that hunk of junk and then you see it you're like because <gasps> it like it was a great reveal you weren't expecting it and then just the thing was shot beautifully. It was simple, you know, one ship, two TIE fighters. Like it wasn't this big grandiose. And it's just in that moment, I'm like, you did it. Well, like it didn't it, matter what the rest of the movie was. I'm like, you did it. Like, and you felt like a kid again. 100%. Like you were watching. I was six-year-old Casey watching New Hope for the first time. Like in that moment. And I got to see it downstate, IMAX, 3D, and just. So it was just, yeah, like spectacular. Absolutely spectacular. Like, little teary. Number two. two. Number two. <laughs> it's the only time I've cried during a Star Wars movie. It's when Luke dies. So I need to rewatch Last Jedi. Have, man, if you guys have not seen um, Last seen Jedi. You it's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> you are getting spoiled if you have not seen Last Jedi. But anyway. Is it? Yeah. I, by this time, yeah. should have. I'm sorry. But like, it, I I loved the movie. I really did. Um, I was so surprised at some of the negatives that came out for it. Like, I finally got to a point in my life when someone's like, "I hated it," instead of me being like, "You're an idiot." I'm like, "Well, tell me why." Yeah. And even though my my inner monologue is, "You're an idiot," but at least learn to control the outer part of it. And just to try and understand where they're coming from. And I still have not heard a legitimate reason that I'm like, "Okay, I can see where you're coming from." Like, it just seems like a lot of I don't know, but. Well, I said my problem with the second movie was my own fault. What was that again? So, High expectation. I, so, and here's why. Oh, I had him too. So, and here's what happened. I didn't know how good um, episode seven was going to be. Yep. Okay. Fair enough. I don't think anybody did. It was amazing. Yeah. So I automatically was like, oh my God, it's just as good as episode four. Now we are going from seven to eight. Well, it's going to be Empire. There we go. Expect yeah. another Empire. And that's, I, I had to work really hard to keep that down there because Empire is my favorite. Yeah. Well, I think, one of the greatest movies of all time. I, I think anybody who like loves the original trilogy, probably Empire is their first and, yeah. or at least second favorite movie. I think you're both headed to number one. You probably both have the same number one. <sighs> my number one's going to be controversial. Okay, well. And I'm going to explain it. But I mean. I like to over explain pretty much yeah, everything. Yeah, but so. I mean, it's just, I mean, 
Empire was one of the greatest movies ever. Uh, it's always on 100%, you know, all these different things you are able to do. It was amazing. Yeah, so in every way, shape, or I, to my own fault, expected from Fair the enough. hype of seven. Fair enough. I expected another. You Empire. expected Empire. Fair enough. Your number two. That was his number two. Okay. No, that was your two. Yes. So I'm on number two. But no, I'm going to go more into this. I want to hear it. It all started with Luke talking to Leia, giving that speech, knowing what happened off screen with Leia dying. Right. Waterworks concerned. That's here. true. That's a lot. They had that awesome battle scene outside. Right. Just flood of emotion. So that that battle scene too, like. In a world where I'm like, I, they can't show me anything visually that they haven't already showed me. And then to do that with the red oh. dust, I was just like, you guys are amazing. Like, <laughs> but but I, was it just, and then they pan in, they pan out, you get these large scale, like, you know, just panoramic shots. It was and then amazing. You'd be right in, you know, face to face with the lightsabers crossing. It's just, you know, to your point, like, you know, celebrity deaths and things like that, like, of course, like someone's, dead like that's 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 a depressing thing but like most of the time like you know i don't get hit really hard by you know even musicians that i really like or things like that but like carrie fisher like that one got me that one got me a lot just like someone who was like i don't even know why and like i, I don't know this person i've never met this person i just had this feeling i'm like i bet she was pretty amazing and you know yeah that one that one was was a huge huge bummer and i think a huge loss i'm really I'm interested to see how that plays out in the next movie. You know, because she finished the movie as still a strong character within that crew. So that's a strong connection there. Like that. Number two, Battle of Hoth. Just, I mean, so back to Empire is just amazing, right? But what a starter. You know what I mean? Like, you think of some of the movies, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right, you sit down, you see that in the first five minutes, you're like, "This is incredible!" Like, that's a special experience when you get to sit down to a film, and within the first ten minutes, it's worth the price of admission, and then somehow manages to even improve from there. I, did, I don't know. I just love that. Like, and you know, the, the the vehicles, and you know, the fact that they did it in the '80s, like it was 1980, and it holds up. Like you watch that now and it's still just, it's just legit. And it's just so good. And I don't know. It was such a unique aspect, you know, being on the ice planet and everything else that surrounded and happened with it. And I coming out strong. I dug that. And you probably could make an argument next to the Godfather and Godfather too. Yep. It's one of the few movies where the sequel at least lived up yes. to, to its predecessor. See Godfather wise, like I'm, I'm a Godfather purist. Like, I don't think two, I, I think one is by far superior. I love what they did with two, and I like the directions and everything else, but, like, I, I still won all day. That's just me. All right. You ready? You probably know what my number one is. Well, I'm assuming. I, I'm kind of waiting for it. So somebody's got to come with it. Dark Vader is Luke's father. Reveal there. Well, and, like you said, that's AFI's, like, I think it's like number two or three. Oh, yeah. One of the most misquoted lines ever, too. Luke, I am your father is not the line. It's no, I am your father. Just My favorite line from that whole thing is, don't make me destroy you. Right. right. <laughs> that, I mean, that whole, like, the whole battle between them on, uh, on Cloud City, 
like that that was that made the short list because that whole part was just great because it's like you saw Luke's skill set clearly he just was no match and and you learned something about like we've talked about here on the spot being young and thinking you know it all right and jumping exactly exactly yeah that's a it's amazing like it's hard for those things to happen nowadays like with the internet and and you know stuff leaking like keeping secrets like that in films is really especially for things that are so like people are waiting for it to come out with like it's so hard to do and it was funny there was uh a girl who works out here we're having a conversation one day and something comes about star wars she's like i've never seen it she's my age and i'm like (gasps) what so we successfully managed to shame her into watching all of them and uh it was kind of like anticlimactic. So we're like, what'd you think? She's like, I feel like I've already seen them. She's like, they're so pop culture relevant. So it's like, you know, for her, like when it's like, Luke, I'm your father. She's like, yeah, I know. Everybody knows that, right? Like, I see, I just misquoted the line myself. But I can, I can see it. Like, I can see her point. Right? Yeah. But yeah, so I think to your point, we almost sometimes forget the significance of that. Like, that's one of those things that you have to rewind and put yourself back at like six, seven, eight, whatever you saw that for the first time and just... Because it's like we're so we've accepted it. It's just like, yeah, of course, everybody knows that. Good poll. You're number one. All right, like I said, it's gonna be controversial. Vader fight scene in Rogue One. I mean, that's really good. Here's why. For thirty years, right? It's something that somehow they alluded to, but never showed us. You know, we've always wanted to see it. Always wanted to see it. And in the original, you know, trilogy, like they did a good job kind of setting the stage for like, well, Vader's badass. Like this guy's no joke, but you never saw it. And then you got to a certain point that you just believed it and expected it and never expected to see it. You're like, yeah, it is what it is. You know, and we saw the battles, we saw the fights and that, that was that, but you never saw him go just off the chain and just inherently evil and just tear. The closest you saw was Anakin at the temple. But it didn't have the same effect because he wasn't wearing the mask. You know, and that's sticking on people. And oh, he's picking and on kids, there right? Was smoke and you couldn't see it. Right. And I mean, rightfully so. Like, I'm glad that they shot that scene the way they did because I don't need to see Anakin, like, taking out a bunch of young Jedis. Yeah. But it just, you know, that was a moment that you're like, this guy's bad news. And they did a good job with that. But, like, we never got to see it in its glory. And I, to this day, like, we go back to Last Jedi. In a world where that is full of stunning, iconic visual imagery, when you can show me something new 30 years later, I, just, I can't not tip my hat. And in that dark room, when he blazes the red lightsaber and it's got that glow, I mean, I about pissed myself. <laughs> like, this is the coolest thing. It's, it's the thing I've always wanted to see that I didn't know that I wanted to see. And then how he just tore through everybody, I was just like... So the second time I saw Rogue One, first time I saw it was here. Second time was downstate, IMAX, the whole thing. I literally sat there the whole time going, when do we get to the Vader part? Like, I just couldn't wait. And it was amazing. Have you seen Solo yet? No. And neither have I. I have not. Brad has seen Solo, and he liked it. Yeah. We were talking about it. I loved Rogue One. Oh, Rogue One just blew me away. Which My expectations were yeah. super low. Which made me disappointed that I haven't seen Solo. Yeah. But, I mean, in all fairness, like, and I, I, I sound like a spoiled rich kid right now because it's, you know, there was a time that we would have killed to have all these 
let's call it geek culture movies. And now it's almost hard to keep up. Like I haven't seen Infinity War yet. I just saw Black Panther on a plane coming back from San Diego. Like, I know, I know, I can feel your judgment. Shame. I know, Shame. I know. And I haven't seen Solo, but it's like, you know, there was a time that's like you buy your tickets way in advance and you're waiting outside the door and you'd schedule the babysitter and do everything else. And now it's like, there's like one a month. So do you want to run me and Casey in or did you want to do a segment? Let me do a segment. But I have one thing to say. I was listening to this podcast on school a couple weeks ago. They're reviewing the top 100 AFI movies of all time. And they were talking about Wizard of Oz. And they brought it to Star Wars. All the two stories are sort of the same. Really? Yes, because you have Luke. Who's oh my gosh, movie. I never, ever, ever connected that. But you're so right. I was like, oh. Bradley just blew my mind. Like never put that together. Yeah, it's a good podcast. All right, now on to the top five list for Stephen Casey. The top five Batman story arcs. I guess we'll start with Steve. Number five. So I have a tie. That's how I'm going to do it because. I'll choose one, but I'm going to tell you what my tie is. Okay. Get me off the hook. Okay. My tie is a long Halloween. Yep. Or a death in the family. Okay. Okay. And I'm going long Halloween. I don't know. I really can't believe I'm going to otherwise put a death of Robin out of it. But I think the... So for me, what I'm doing is I had a hard time with it. Obviously, I'm sure you did too. But what I did is I tried to pick the things... That, see, people like, I don't know what you're talking about right now. But the average person, unless they're a really big comic person, like Bobby, right. Right. you know, there's Ron Siegel. There's a, there's a handful of people that know what we're talking about right, right. now. But when I tell you Two-Face and Batman, when he's getting going, like after he's decided he's going to put on the Kim McCall and he's trying to find himself. Yeah, so that's what Long Halloween is. And You know, so, I love Long Halloween because that made my short list, right? It is, at its heart, a true detective story, and it's done very, like, film noir yes. right? And it's just, it's unique in how it's told. It is, like, it, it, it's, it's a cop story. Well, it's, it's a whodunit, too. It's, it, it's an awesome and clever and well-written whodunit. Like, that's the thing that kills me sometimes about comic books is that, you know, there's a lot of people that are just like, well, I don't read comics. It's like, if you take away the capes and the masks, like, these are just great stories. Like, some people can't get past that part. It's just good storytelling. It's just well written. Like Long Halloween was and if you amazing. Think every Batman movie that's been made touches Long Halloween. Oh, some agreed. Agreed. So, and like it's another. It, it's a great lot of characters. So you get to see a lot of the different rogues and whatnot. I got to be honest with you. Death in the Family. Like you cannot argue its significance in the Batverse, if you want to call it that. Not my favorite read. Like in terms of a story. Like it's one of those ones you buy it, you read it once, you maybe pick it up another time, but it's not like like there's other ones on this list that I might revisit every year because okay. I'm just like that is a good read. And really, you're right. It was more of like, oh my god, yes, Robin. Actually, fun fact: we killed Robin. Yes. So we that was Robin. what eighty five, somewhere around there, yeah. like mid to late eighties. And at the end of issue three of the four that were in the series, the explosion goes off. 
And that's the last panel of the comic. And then the reader could call two different 1-900 numbers. The first one was Robin Lives. Second one was Robin Dies. So we killed him. We voted him dead. But in all fairness, and to your point, not everybody's going to know this, it's not Dick Grayson Robin. It's not original Robin. This is Jason Todd Robin. Who stole the wheels from the Batmobile. Who stole the wheels from the Batmobile. Good pull, sir. Your geek prowess is strong, my friend. Um, Sounds like nobody liked him. He, he was not liked. He was like, he was this edgier, angrier. Ooh, we're going to get to that too. I can't wait. Oh, so God. yeah. He, uh, okay, I got another one on your list. Uh, <laughs> I know it. I know it. All right. Uh, so my number five. Okay. Kid of the 90s. Yep. My first Batman. I'm just setting the stage here a little bit. First Batman was Michael Keaton. I was like third grade when the 89 movie came out. Begged my parents to see it. They wouldn't let me see it because it was too dark. I did the air quotes again. Um, and then when it came out on video, they're like, okay, you can get it. I literally wore out the VHS cassette like a 30, 40 times, just watched over and over. And I still to this day adore that movie. But that was like my first, like, yeah. I'd always liked Batman. I'd always watched, but that was like, I am in. This is great. This is amazing. So after Batman Returns comes out, um, they did the Batman animated series, which started 92, same year, like just trying to filter off the success of Batman Returns. And that was uh, Bruce Tim, and I can't remember the other cat who was the writer. Um, I don't know, but Batman animated series, oh, I'm still watching. It's, still, it's so good, even to this day. Like, it's one of those things that was a big part of my childhood. And then when I started revisiting it when I was older, I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Yeah. Do you remember the Great Ghost episode with Adam West did the voice of the Great? Just like, come on. Like, and I didn't know that was Adam West at the time. And so anyway, but they did an episode called Heart of Ice. That was the origin story of Mr. Freeze. Okay. Yes. And now what people don't fully understand is Mr. Freeze was a little bit of a joke prior to that. That is the moment that Mr. Freeze became a legitimate character that people actually cared about because they humanized him and they made it. He was this doctor who was uh, specialized in cryogenics and his wife had like McGregor's disease or some sort of incurable uh, muscular disease. And he froze her to try and, you Solve know, great Oh my God. And I don't know who the voice actor was, who they got to play freeze. So deadpan. Batman anime series on Amazon prime. Watch it. Yeah, it's so, so, so the episode's called heart of ice. It is it's amazing. I mean the complexity, like, for a cartoon, it, it's spectacular. It's to this day like one of my all-time favorite bad stories, and it was just so well done. And I, you know, at the end of the day, and we're going to talk about this later, and I'm going to contradict myself, but you know, what makes, in my opinion, good villains is ones that you can empathize with. You're like, okay, you're a bad, bad guy, but I can see why you did it, and maybe I might do the same thing. And that level of empathy really draws you in and makes that character complex. So. No, we can't do this. Today, right? <laughs> We're not going to do it. Number four for me. I'm not going to do it. All right. Number it's four for me. Episode. <laughs> Number four for me is Court of Owls. What does that say? Right there. Court of Owls. Thank you. So, because, first of all, I love that the fact it was only written like 10 years ago. Oh, my God. It's brilliant. Yeah. It's just brilliant. Um, and it kind of rebooted Batman in a way. Oh, that was the first big story in New 52 was yeah. Snyder and Capallo. And I mean, wow. Oh, so like if you do a quick Google search of like, just however you want to term it, like, I did Batman writers. I tried to type yeah. a whole bunch of different things in it just to see if there was a common thread. Yep. And Snyder came up. 
every time. And he so was, good. It was him and Frank Miller, which yeah. it's just good. Like, um, yeah, you're right. We could be here all day. Like that is just, and again, with a character that's been around since 1939, you manage to like, cause you know, and that, sometimes they try and create new villains, create new things. And it's just, it's a flop. Right. And what they did is they took what you knew. Yes. Yes. We're able to play on it. Wow. They played on your bias or mm-hmm. what you expected. Yeah. And like, how they integrated like the killing of the Waynes. Yeah. I mean, it's just so, so hopefully to, to spark any listener interest, it's basically that there's this underground society that has been running Gotham for the shadows for centuries. And it comes up in the comic and Bruce Wayne, Batman's like, no, 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 no. If they existed, I know they exist. Well, lo and behold, they do exist. And they keep the people oppressed. And so the Waynes were trying to like unoppress the people. It's amazing. And they were like, well, we can't have that. So they said, it's, yeah. it's so good. And it was, I, I also thought that was such a bold move. Like you're re-kicking off, you're starting the new 52, you're kind of resetting the characters. And instead of going to the greatest hits, I mean, the easy play would have Joker. Right? Like, we're going to do a Joker story because everybody knows it. And they're like, nope, we're going to do something completely different with someone that you've never heard of. And we're going to make it compelling. That was brilliant. They did an awesome job with that. All right. Uh, hard times here. Hard times. All right. Number four, I'm going to go Black Mirror. Nice. Which is one I borrowed from you. Yep. That uh, I had never heard of until you told me about it. And said, you should check this out. And dear Lord. Like, deep. And so... They make a noir version of that. Really? Just all black and white. That would be kind of cool. Hardcover. The whole storyline with Jim Gordon's son. I almost, this is probably never going to happen, right? But I almost don't want to say anything more about it for anybody who's listening that might be just curious enough to pick it up because it was just, it was not your normal Batman story and it went to some really unique places and they did a really cool kind of reveal and it gives you an opportunity to what they could do down the road. Oh, completely. Just like flash how I keep holding, I hold the vigil that don't somehow use Batman. But I, I would highly recommend checking out black mirror. Like that one is, it just, it's, it's a very unique story and a lot of unique stories. And it really stuck with me. Number three is hush. You can't argue that one. No. I mean, that's my, these last ones. Hush is like the 27 Yankees of Batman stories. The fact that I have it at number three though, kind of. Not necessarily. Like Hush did not make my list only because like, you know me, like sometimes I like to go off the beaten path a little bit. Like it's such an obvious one and it doesn't make it any less, but it's, it's a good story. What I like about Hush is they took all all right, I'm going to go down the hole real quick. They took all the villains yep. and were able to work them in yes. into that comic book. So that was the first big thing that Jim Lee got to write for Batman Stories, who was super famous for doing – like he's the guy who made X-Men super popular in the 90s. Comes over, starts to work on Batman in DC, and they're like, well, what villains do you want to use? He's like, well, all of them. <laughs> and see, <laughs> and I think this is the problem that DC's having compared to Marvel. It's a valid point. Is that – DC's villains are so, so strong. When you really try to sit there and think about Marvel villains, oh. don't tell me Thanos right now because I don't count him. So well, The only reason they use Thanos is because they don't own the rights to any of the other ones. Yeah. And you try to really sit there and think about some of Marvel villains. They don't hold a candle. You really can't think of any. When you start thinking about 
DC villains. They're you know, Lex Luthor, right. the Joker. Right. You know, you're just like, and I think that's where they're screwing up right now. To a point. You think? They, yeah, I know what you're saying. So, like the fact, uh, like Justice League, like Steppenwolf was not strong. And he wasn't well designed. Like he didn't have. Like he could have looked better. Like there were some steps that were missed there, in my opinion. Just have that Snyder stop having a director movies. In all fairness, though, man, that guy knows how to make pretty pictures. He's got three more coming up. Visually, like I, I'm sorry, but some of the visuals from Batman Superman, incredible. But yes, to your point, like maybe bringing someone else on some story help, some 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 boarding or whatnot. Three, three, so hard, so hard. All right, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with Dark Knight Returns for number three. Um, famously, and I mean this is number one in so many people's books. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, this was the Frank Miller one, and there's. Keep it like I found this one later, you know, when I actually read it for the first time was a little bit later on. But like the historic significance of it, you know, the character had gotten very fluffy up to a period of time. And this was the moment that it was reclaimed and turned into this, you know, dark brooding. The Batman that we know today, every iteration of Batman we've ever seen in film in our lifetimes does not happen without Dark Knight Returns in any way, shape, or form. And that, it was written in the 80s. It's very 80s. You can, t- I think it was, what, 84, 85? You can tell it's 80s, but it still holds up. And yeah. it's the one I will read probably about once a year. And I start thinking about it and I pick it up. everything. Everything. Ever since it's come out, it's like you can't go back. They can't, you can't. go back in the bottom. They cannot. So, so, so influential. And so, yeah. Uh, so you probably can tell that that's going to be in mind. So, that's my number one, I, and I'll touch on it a little bit. But at number two, so really, it's what's my number two? Killing Joe. Okay. So, I mean, I think that there's a distinct opportunity there for them to write the ship by using maybe not really doing, maybe not making the movie Killing Joe. I understand, but. Like using that as a platform. Yeah, you have to understand. I mean, you just touched on it, but there is a darkness that is in DC Comics. Which oh. They touch on it, and that is the difference between Marvel and DC. That when you're in the, sitting there, a lot of them are bright. Marvel that was bright. my problem with Justice League, is I felt like Batman versus Superman owned that and said, listen, you guys got this. We're going to go this way, and we're going to be true to our characters, because they're dark characters. Yeah. And then... They stopped on a dime, and then with Justice League, they're like, "Oh, we're going to be Marvel," and I'm like, ah, "Like that's where that's what lost me in that movie was trying to be too bright and cheery." I, I completely agree. Yeah, it's been why I like Justice League. Marvel. Really? <laughs> and then, listen, different strokes, right? Like, Did you I'm like Marvel, Marvel person. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Did you like Justice League? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I love Justice I League. I liked it. Yeah. I just felt like there was missed opportunities. I oh yeah, hundred percent. And the fact it. that you really didn't bring in. So they snuck in the Green Lantern in there, only in the Steppenwolf battle. Yep. A little bit you had yeah. it for him, but... But on the same time, we love stuff like that. We're like, oh, did you see that thing on the yeah. little corner of the screen? Like, love picking up those stuff Well, it's like, like Wonder Woman 1984. They're saying that I, how they I, brought back her boyfriend. Steve Trevor. Steve Trevor. They're actually saying that could be Marvin Martian. 
No. Or not Marvin Martian. Martian Manhunter. Martian Manhunter. Sean and, Jones. And he's... They're saying that could be the way... Do you watch Supergirl at all? No. I didn't want to like it, but my God, it's good. <laughs> so anyways, the killing joke. So those of you who don't know, it's really what happens is... Joker backstory. Yeah, the Joker backstory. Which had never... Like, Joker was a character that appeared with no backstory. And I'll tell you why Killing Joke did not make my list. For that reason. I loved the mystery of the character. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Killing Joke, read it. It's amazing. It's well-written. It's awesome. I own it. I love it. And it's... The, the art of it is gorgeous. Oh, beautiful. But I kind of love the idea of, like, no one knows where this guy came from, what he's about, where no one knows. He's just, he just appeared. And he is this way. And we don't know why. Like, I, I like that level of mystery to the character. And so for me, Killing Joke is like, hey, we're going to explain this. I'm like, but I didn't need you to. Which is a very nuanced personal thing. Right. So I get that. But yes, not to take anything away from it because it's amazing. My number two. Uh, oh, this is a tough call. Okay, so I'm going to go. My number two is going to be The Dark Knight, the Chris Nolan movie. For a couple reasons, right? It, first of all, like it, it's like a, it's a perfect movie. It is the godfather of comic book movies. Like, I don't think you can argue that. It goes way beyond people running around in tights. It is just a perfectly crafted, beautiful film in every way, shape, or form. And the story is watertight. Like, find me a flaw in that movie. I dare you. It's just, it's just perfect filmmaking. And Christopher Nolan is an amazing storyteller. And not just, you know, his Batman movies, but all the other stuff he's done. The thing that I loved most about it is kind of twofold. In my lifetime, and prior to that, the relationship between Batman and the Joker was never appropriately captured on anything outside of the comics. Never in cartoons, never in movies, never in anywhere else. They always missed the mark. Like, they create something that wasn't there. But in the comics, the relationship you see between Batman and Joker in The Dark Knight is the relationship that they have had for decades, which is why that pairing is so strong. And it was like to sit there as a comic book reader and a fan and go, oh, my God, someone finally did it. They got it. Right. And the casting. I mean, I was sad to say one of the people that when they cast Heath Ledger, I was like, boo, hiss. And this this rendition of the character that he came up with, that was just it's, you know, something I didn't know that I wanted. And now that's all I want. Yeah. And it's the standard that everything else is judged. And the other part of that, like and, and part of this goes with like the relationship that they were to create between these two characters, like the movie, especially the first time you saw it had this like legitimate level of chaos to it. Like as an audience member, you're like, you're constantly on the edge of your seat because it was so unpredictable, but that's what dealing with that villain was. It was just every part of it was so brilliantly captured that it, it just, just no way. I just could not tip my head. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this was once you get into the top three, it's rarefied air. Oh, yeah. So it's like, you're, yeah. So The Dark Knight Returns to the number one. Which is a completely valid number one. Yeah. Um, and primarily, I made it the number one because it echoes through the most. When did you read it for the first time? I read it in the 90s on a black leather hardbound. Do you still have that? Yeah. Well, I do. Okay. But the cover got torn up by my dog. So, but everything else but the cover still. Okay. I did not buy that for the first time until like, I want to say eight years ago. 
maybe like, I mean, I was aware of it. I kind of read, but you know, so I missed out a little bit on reading it in its heyday, but yeah, year one, Santa Claus and then the dark Knight. Yeah. It turns all in that one. Yep. Book. Yep. Um, you know, it's got everything. It's got the Joker. It's got Bane. It's got Batman versus Superman. It's got it right. all. I mean, and that's part of the reason why you like Batman versus Superman so much. The movie It's because hundred percent he did a very good job. He did with that part and that conflict. And yeah, I mean, like everybody else, you know, my biggest quarrel with that was the reason they stopped fighting. I'm like, really? That's the best you got? Like, your moms are the same name? Like. I totally understood why they started fighting. Like, that's a Batman way to think. Like, if there's a 1% chance that this guy could be bad, I have to assume it's 100%. Because nothing can defeat him. Have you... Is it Batman Gods on I'm not. Uh, I'm not familiar. Okay, you should talk for a little bit. I'll, let me pull up because i got to find it here. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what we call putting Brad on the spot. Well, I bet you can just finish, finish your thought. See, that's... Now, when you tell me to talk, I can think of nothing to say. So what it is, is this, this Batman story, and what, it's on Hulu. Right now, do you have Hulu? I do not. Okay, so go ahead and download the free trial. Okay. And what's going on right now is they have every DC animated movie for your enjoyment. Is this like a movie rendition of Injustice Gods Among Us? Um, it, what it is, is... Oh, i got to find it here. Hang on. So what happens is... Someone hacks into Batman's computer. Okay. And he is he's with the Justice League now. And what he has done is he's made this little file on each person in the Justice League on how to stop them. So what this person does is they take it and they go around. Yeah, Tower of Babel. Which almost made my number one. Only because Justice League Doom. That was the animated that, that yes, yes, I've seen that. So that's, it's based off the Tower of Babel uh, storyline, which in essence is Batman taking out the entire Justice League or someone else kind of through his planning. There's so many of them. And that's why I kind of like that story is it showcases like how powerful of a human being this person actually is. Is that almost single-handedly, if he chose, could take out basically a group of gods. So whenever people like, you know, as a comic book fan, as a Batman fan, people like to give you a hard time all the time. You're like, Superman. And like, yes, in theory, but on the same token, there's a lot of, let's call it, let's call them the historical documents that prove otherwise. Like there's a lot of different comic stories. Superman would never kill Batman. That's the the thing. It's like, that's the line that Batman will cross that Superman never would. And that's so inherently just from a character standpoint, but there's all these different places where it shows like, this is a, this is more than just men amongst gods like this is not a human being like this is someone who exists on a plane that the rest of us will never number one number one mainly because of a lot of personal significance is flashpoint which you mentioned earlier i will say why so when bobby's shop opened yes sir do you know anything about flashpoint (laughs) there's an animated it's worth watching they did a good job with it yeah it's it's worth a watch if you it's worth it. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, if you don't want to invest in the in the reading. So when Bobby Shop opened, there was not a comic shop. And I had not bought and read comics for a long time at that point. You know, I like like a lot of people. I read when I was a kid, got away from it, you know, was always interested. I was the same way. Totally. Same way. 
So his shop opened and I was like, oh, you know, I like this guy and I want to support him, bought a couple books and, you know, I was like, oh, give me a couple new issues of Batman. So I go in to pick up like, it's like one of the first times I was in there or second times. He's like, hey, you know, I got this thing. I think you might like it. I know you like this and this and this. Why don't you check this out? And it was Flashpoint. So he dropped a copy of that in my bag and I read it and I was just like, that kicked off like, okay, here's the books that, I, so I have I read monthly comics since, right? I once a month, go down to the shop, I pick up all my pulls and I tear through them in an afternoon. And that kind of started with that issue. So there's, there's some personal nostalgia with that, but on the same token, just once again, like in, in a character that's been around for almost 80 years, when you could show me something new that no one else has done before, so, you know, bravo. And it's just, so in short, alternate timeline, alternate reality type story. Those are always cool because you can have a lot of liberties and then you can always hit reset and rewind and nothing you do is permanent. So you can be like, well, what if this, what if this? So in this alternate reality, alternate world, the flash is actually the main character. He goes to an alternate present. It's not the future. It's current, but it's just an all the timeline has been altered. And in this altered timeline on that famous night in crime alley, Bruce Wayne was killed, not his parents. And then the death of their son was handled a very different way. So Thomas Wayne becomes Batman, but a very dark, very vengeful, very violent, very gun-toting Batman. And his mom becomes, wait for it, a Joker. Because she couldn't handle, I don't know if that reveal was too much. Was that too much? Was that over the top? <laughs> She's in Arkham Asylum. So she couldn't handle it and goes crazy. And so now you have your same Batman Joker, but it's Thomas and Martha Wayne. And the whole story plays out and like it's this kind of apocalyptic type world where the Atlanteans are battling the Themyscarans that are led by Wonder Woman and Aquaman. And it's just, it's just good. And it kicked off the New 52. That was kind of the platform that launched. So now that I've told you that, that he just told you that, now think of, I think it's the beginning of Batman and Superman, when you see Bruce Wayne's parents getting murdered and you think of who his parents are at that time. Yeah. Right. Now That's imagine that. The movie I want to see. So Maggie is the Joker. Denny is the rogue Batman. Can I buy my ticket now? <laughs> Can I just give you my money? Every time. I think about that all the time. <laughs> oh, I would, in a heartbeat. That'd be amazing. I do That's have a question for you guys. Shoot. Who's your favorite Batman? Favorite actor to play Batman? I can't answer that in one person. So my Batman is Michael Keaton. Because 89, right? Like that was, that was my kickoff. Like because I was a kid, you know, a lot of people who are a little bit older than us, like Adam West is still their Batman. That was like their first introduction to the character. So Michael Keaton was my guy. Like that was my Batman. Um, in terms of if I had to look at all of them from a place of no personal bias and say, who is best at playing this character as I know him, Ben Affleck, no question. And the thing is, hold on, before I always get that look. The problem, in my opinion, with Christian Bale is he was an awesome Bruce Wayne, but he was not a good Batman, right? The voice, he talked too much. Like there was aspects of the Batman character that he didn't do as well. But his Bruce Wayne was great. And he's an amazing actor. Like, I don't want to take anything away from him. But I think Affleck plays both roles better. Like I, I love Ben Affleck as Batman. I like him as anything. The, the failings that people don't like of Batman is the fact that there's a timeline going on right now where Ben Affleck has to play 
a certain type of Batman. I don't think it's they like. I don't think they don't like Ben Affleck. I don't think they like the Batman and the Bruce Wayne where he's at. Right. They want him to go back to being where he was at the Christian. And I can say that's the beauty of all of this is like all comics do is reinvent themselves. You know what I mean? I've like, said on the pod before that we didn't, we know that Affleck wants to get out. Yes. And that's why I said, you, you just kill him. Yeah. This movie, you mm. kill him and then you put him in the Lazarus pit and then you can rebirth wherever the hell you want. That's you can make point. as you want. You can, run, you, you can take it wherever you want after that point, but you're able to actually kill Batman and they actually have an outlet set up for you to still continue the franchise and yeah. let it go. Oh, yeah. You could have Superman take him to the Lazarus pit. That's true. Put him in there because we already have introduced Rawls, so we know that. Right. And it was what Is it Raz or Raish? Raz. You say Raz Al Ghul? Yes. I do too. Yeah. So you have that opportunity. What I'm saying is the framework's there to do this. Yes. And still make it work within what them they're trying to make. Right. That's a valid point. So the question is, who would you like to be Batman next? Here's where I'm not going to answer that. Because, again, when, like, when Heath Ledger was cast as Joker, like, I was one of those people that was like, ah, like, clearly I don't have that type of vision to see what actors are capable of. Like, I see them as what they've done, but I don't always say, there, there, there's like another Tom one. Tom Holland is Spider-Man. He's been, oh, he's awesome. amazing. Yeah, he's been perfect. He's great. And you haven't even seen Infinity War. No, but I mean, I saw Homecoming. But you haven't seen it. I mean, you haven't talked about it. Oh, he was great in Homecoming. You've I do not. Anymore, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> then you don't even know what I'm talking about. Neither of you know. He has a We're moment. not worthy. He has a moment in that movie where. You know why he's so great? Just from what I've seen. I haven't you seen need, it anywhere. You need to hit Kleenex. You will not be safe in that. <laughs> Can I tell you I something? I don't see it. I don't try. I almost started balling it. So Mary Beth and I are watching Dark Knight Rises mm-hmm. and we're in the theater and we saw a stupid early showing. So there wasn't a lot of people there because I had to see it. And it was towards the end where Batman's taking the bomb out over the bay and it looked like they were going to kill him. And all the rumors were that this was it. You know, the legend ends, blah, 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 blah. And they had done it in such a way that I'm like, I'm okay with it. Right. But it was still like a little bit choke worthy. And she looks over at me. She goes, are you crying? <laughs> Oh, it was a moment. It would have been. I mean, it was nice how they had the rumble, the rubble, and the rebuilding, and very return of the Dark Knight. Good pull. Right. These people that are listening to this, I apologize. It's full nerd, but it's all good. That's what this episode was supposed to be. See, yeah, that's what you're gonna get this week. <laughs> that's right. Next week, you get a little more of norm- normality. We're gonna have Scott Bates in the. Awesome brothers here. Nice, nice. Uh, we're going to go over a little bit of other background, which I think most people are familiar with. But if you're not, you're going to get the full dose of it. Maybe what's they have coming down the pipe? Maybe something I don't know, really cool. And by the way, I got two things left. I got to get off my chest. Okay. So if you're stuck with us this long, and it's a miracle. <laughs> so I should we do another new segment so people don't want to listen to this one? I think if yeah. they're if they're here at this point, they're they're probably committed. Yeah. So my get off my chest is this: we, me and Brad and Allison, we do a lot. So like we're, we're going to be at that parade. Yep. I'm going to be. We go to the movies in the park. I go to concerts in the park. We went to the roller derby. 
So we go about all these things. And I see the same problem at all these things. Pick up your fucking trash, people. If you're in there, just pick it up and then take it with you and then put it at the garbage at the garbage can. If you're at the movies and you got your kids running around, pick up the garbage and then take it. If you're at the concert park, you have a whole bunch of empties, give the empties to the bum that wants the guy that comes around and collects all the empties. Just clean up after yourselves. It, For the it's love not just there. It's like God, I saw that picture on Facebook with the splash park. Oh. Took a picture of the table and it was a mess. Even yeah. outside, like, you know, you could be on the trails, you could be paddling, like you're fishing, you're like, it's just, yeah. Pick up after yourself. I mean, we have done such, we have so many people working behind the scenes that are just pouring their heart and soul into making this, I mean, that water part with the, with the crap all over the place. This is why we can't have nice things, right? You're going to ruin it. So don't ruin it. And I know 90% of the people that listen to this don't prefer to pick up their stuff. That's my guy on my chest. And it's a really good one. That's, That's a good one. Yeah. And the other thing I wanted to say, do you have anyone for Brad? Do you have any single trainers that maybe are looking for a man? Because I worked that end in every pod. Female. I did it once. Female. Your wife. No. No male. But no. Um, back on track. Just keep it out there. Put it in the back of your mind. Tuck it away. Know, put it in the pocket. You're a little too late. Like, had you come maybe a couple years ago, but everybody's now engaged and married and having babies and yeah. – yeah, it was kind of funny. Like, you know, we've been open around four years now, and I keep seeing all these these kids that aren't kids and getting married and having having their own kids and everything else. And So if you're a single lady and you want to get with Brad, I do the 4th of July fireworks at my house. It's right over back here behind the performance locker. Shoot Brad a message, and you can come watch the fireworks. And have a Reese's S'mores. And if you don't fireworks eat, are magical. And if you want to eat... Marshmallows with a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup for your night game, right? You're missing so, out. I would say s'mores are the number one least beard-friendly food on the planet. 100% correct. That's why we don't have beards. I'm just, so in case you ever decide to grow one and you eat a s'more for the first time, like, prepare to be, like, super disappointed. <laughs> I'm sure you can see the fireworks in your house. No. Oh. That's actually a funny story that I'll say for another time, but, but no. You're, you're more than welcome to come over. I appreciate that. I'm going to take you up on that. Matt let us come to his house last year. And he was all excited. He said, you can see him from our house. And I had experience doing the same thing. And I was like, no, you can't. But you actually could. It was from his house you can? You can. Okay, yeah. There's like an opening in the trees in the right place. So, all right. So thanks for listening this week. Awesome Brothers. And then Michael Beermeister from WBKP. So we got for the next two weeks. Sounds good. Casey, thank you. Thank you, guys.